Hi, welcome back to Excited, episode 152. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's acting the Fuldeman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fuldeman? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's been busy, but um, you know we're, we're wrapping up the most research-intensive part of the podcast, which will you know <laughs> help out a little bit on that end. Yeah, you know, during the season, we get a decent amount of our material from just watching the leaves and then crying and then discussing them. Whereas this one, we had to look stuff up and engage and sit around on the internet, but not in the usual fun way. So yeah, uh, we've been working hard on this. However, uh, before we get into our survey of the latter 16 teams in the alphabet, there was some actual news between two teams that we covered in the first episode. Yes. They, they didn't have the grace to wait or to time it so that we could have discussed it at the time. So now we're going to bring it back. And that is the Jisberi Kotkaniemi offer sheet. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes have signed Jisberi Kotkaniemi, center for the Montreal Canadiens, to an offer sheet for one year at $6.1 million. So an offer sheet, just to recap, when you're a restricted free agent, um, a team has the choice of either matching contract offers from other teams or taking compensation for them in the form of draft picks and then letting them go. So if the Canadians decide not to match this offer sheet, Carolina will give them a first and a third round pick, and then Kakanyemi will join the Hurricanes. Also worth noting, if Montreal decides to match, they can't trade Kakanyemi for a year. So if they take him, they are going to have him on their roster at this price. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. Um, now, there's a lot of ways to analyze this. For one, I, I do appreciate this is this is something kind of neat and cool to talk about, right? I, I like offer sheets because it's it's content more mm-hmm. or less. Um, we can debate whether how smart this is from a hockey perspective, and we'll do that. But this gets at something that you've you've talked about before, Holman, which is that you think uh, offer sheets for mid-level players are underused. I do. And this is the funniest thing is that in the course of that argument, I've also said offer sheets for retaliation are like not even a big deal. <laughs> so I'm going to have to eat crow on that one a little bit because this is a retaliatory offer sheet. And the Canes have emphatically made that clear because Sebastian yeah. Ajo was offer sheeted a couple years back. Now, the Canadians gave Ajo a contract that Carolina ma- like decided to match in about three seconds. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> such a... I don't know. It was it was it was such a wussy ass offer sheet in the sense yeah. of like there was there was a zero percent chance of it actually bringing Aho to the to the Habs. Yeah, and the Carolina Hurricanes official Twitter account in the case of Aho announced that they were going to match like within an hour, but they didn't do it until the end of the one week period they had to do it because they wanted to tie up Montreal's um, cap space as sort of a fuck you. Now we have the situation reversed because Carolina apparently did not feel that they told Montreal to go fuck themselves with sufficient emphasis the first time around. Because this is actually a bit of a tricky scenario for Montreal. And it's by no means a given that they should match. Yes. Um, so, well, actually, but before we get into that, I, I, can you quickly present your logic for why you think mid-level offer sheets are underused? And... Um, and I, just to, I guess, preface this, Fulman and I both think this is a bit rich as an offer sheet. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, from a hockey perspective, we don't necessarily like it that much from Carolina's point of view. 
but so like why is that why does this not fit into what you originally thought of as a good mid-level offer sheet so first of all it's a lot for kotkin yemi the idea for mid-level offer sheets that i like is that there's a range where the compensation for offer sheets is actually pretty modest where you can still inconvenience another team enough that they have to think geez i don't really know if i want to match that travis dermott would have been a good example um a year ago where it's quite possible to give him a contract that would have been painful for the leafs to match but the compensation would have been like a second round pick now what the carolina hurricanes have done here is one they've gone into the next bracket up so 6.1 million and they've offered a, a sheet here that is genuinely not super desirable for a player like Kotkin Yemi. Like the idea of mid-level offer sheets, I think, is that RFAs get undervalued. And so you can take advantage by sending a contract that's going to be painful for a team to sign. But that still is worthwhile. This would be painful for Montreal to match because it's a lot more money than Kotkin Yemi's worth. We were talking about that uh, last night, we were saying, okay, how much do you think Kakanyemi is worth on a one year? And I said, maybe three, three and a half million. And so that's a pretty serious surplus. And a first and a third isn't nothing in draft compensation, even granted Carolina as a pretty good team, I think. Right. But it's going to also like with the thing with the first round pick, there's like, there's downside risk. Carolina again is going this is the pseudo cheap route or pseudo pseudo tandem route with goaltending. They mm. don't have they don't have locked in great goaltending. That can absolutely collapse. This could be a lottery pick. Yeah, and you know it's happened to them before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it likely will be a lottery pick, but it could. I like there's a non-zero chance. Carolina is in a, is it a rough division? Yeah, yeah. No, all of those things are, are absolutely true. I do want to say, last podcast I talked about Carolina as being kind of cheap in the context of Dougie Hamilton. And I think that, especially with this offer sheet, which is actually pretty rich, it's probably fairer to say that they weren't willing to spend on Dougie Hamilton. You know, there is a willingness to spend money here. And I think this decision indicates that. But, like, there's a lot that's going into this. Is one, they clearly wanted to take a shot back at the Montreal Canadiens. I'm not saying that's their prime motive. And if it had been, that would be stupid. But I think that they're certainly enjoying it. Um, you know, flipping off the Habs is a sort of a payback thing. Well, and, and to be clear, um, I, I enjoy, on principle, people flipping off the Habs. Yeah. That said, I mean, after this offseason, this is a case of two very unlikable teams, in my opinion. Yeah, so. exactly. And I think, and I do honestly believe this, that a secondary motive for this is to change the narrative on the Tony D'Angelo thing for the Hurricanes. I'm not saying that's why they did this. But I sure think that um, the circus that they seem to be making out of this, because their Twitter account is going to great lengths to make it clear that, you know, they're... I I hate their Twitter account, man. It's a lot. It's trying pretty hard. I hate when brands try to be cool. Yeah, it's just like... It it, it just, it comes off as very poochy. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I'll say this for the Leafs. They're just like, here's a clip of a guy scoring a goal. The end. Yeah. That's all we're doing. <laughs> so I, I sort of respect the, the bare bones attitude there. Anyway, so there are a couple of other things than just player evaluation going into this. And I think that when you start doing that, that's when you start making choices that maybe aren't the best. 
because <laughs> what ha- the deal is with Kalakinyemi is, okay, he's 21. So if I say, okay, maybe he's worth three-ish million on a one year, but he could be worth more next year than this year. We would expect that. Um, yeah. And he made the NHL and was quite competent as an 18-year-old. That's a hell of a start. You know, I don't think that he's, he's a bad player by any means. And there's another possibility that you talked about of a handshake deal. Mm-hmm. It, it's worth yeah. noting that because he's going to be an RFA at the end of this one-year contract, um, the qualifying offer would be based on it, which is $6.1 million. So it's not just this year is rich. It's that the next contract is going to probably have to be rich, too, to keep his rights, unless... There is a handshake agreement with Kotkaniemi to sign an extension for less down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Kotkaniemi can quite reasonably do that because right now he's looking at several extra million dollars and maybe the prospect of going to a team that is keener on him than the Habs are right now. And so he can still want to do that and make an agreement to sign a different contract, which is technically against the CBA, but like this sort of stuff happens. Yes. So... Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of jumped around here, but my, my where I come down on this, essentially, is it's absolutely not worth it for Kotkaniemi in an abstract sense to, to pay $6.1 million. Um, now, the thing that makes this difficult for the Habs is that the Habs, having just been to the Cup Final and being a team that uh, still has Carey Price, paying them a lot of money, like, who they're paying a lot of money to, probably want to contend, and their center depth isn't great. So the idea of losing Kotkaniemi for, for nothing isn't that uh, attractive, and neither is the idea of paying him six point one million, and then you know presumably the Habs don't have some sort of handshake deal with Kotkaniemi to do that to maybe mm-hmm. pay him less down the road because otherwise they may they would have just agreed to an extension. Um. So, yeah, it, I can see how this targets, I guess, some of the differences between the incentives of teams and the incentives of a general manager, because from Montreal's team perspective, I think you look at this and say. We had a magical run last year. Probably not happening again. Kakanyemi is good. He, and he's, he's, he's an NHL player at age 20, 21. He'll probably be a decent NHL player. He's not remotely worth this, what, we're, what we'd have to pay him for this next year. And then after that, who knows? Because he could just do the same thing again the following year. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, he's in the same situation. We should probably take the first and the third and then spend that and the extra $6 million somewhere else. Right. right? But if you're Mark Bergevin... You're saying, well, I, I need to make the playoffs, and I'm in a tough division, and my center depth is kind of crappy. So if I don't have Kotkaniemi, does, is that maybe the difference between me being a lower-end bubble team and a higher-end bubble team? Or, like, does, is that the difference between making the playoffs or not? And is that the difference between me keeping my job or not? So in that sense, from Carolina's perspective, maybe it, it makes sense. Maybe they have some inside information where it's like, okay, this is the real Sophie's choice for, for Bergevin in particular. It does put pressure on him in a, in now, a pretty the, serious way. The, the question is, um, or I guess the, the, the possible downside from Carolina's perspective is, what happens if you actually end up with Kotkaniemi on a one-year mm. at $6.1 million? Now, as we said, it's too much money, but it's on a one-year. If Carolina's not using that cap space, who cares? You know, you're paying him an extra $2 million, $3 million this year, but it's for one year. And if you weren't going to use that anyways, it's just a loss to, to the owner. Um, and then... You have, you've acquired at least a useful forward. You have his RFA rights, which you can either trade or you can keep or you have a handshake deal. I can see it being somewhat useful, but you do have to give up decent draft capital to do so. And I feel I feel like you could add something to like a first and third and get someone who is actually better than Kakinemi and not that much older. 
Right. And so there's a question whether this is the best use of assets. It seems clear to me that Carolina consciously decided it did not want Dougie Hamilton's next contract. Yes, because, I mean, one of the alternatives that they could have done is you kind of use, weaponize this cap space, the short-term cap space, to keep Dougie Hamilton, but it would be on a long-term deal, right? And we mentioned last week there there's some concerns about, not concerns, but like they do have to take into account uh, Martin Natchez's next deal. At the time that we recorded, Andrei Svetsnikov was unsigned. He has since been signed for like eight years, $62.5 million overall. And, you know, nothing much to say about that other than that's a very good deal. Yeah, I think that Svetchnikov is very likely to deliver on that contract. So I think that there's a real commitment to their system in general in Carolina that echoes through a lot of these decisions where they they try not to overpay anybody, really. And then with Kotkin Yemi, it stands out by contrast because they are in the potential position of having, you know, a pretty dubious use of cap space on their books. And, yeah, and yeah. again, the, the risk would really be more for what happens beyond this year mm-hmm. than this year. And this could all be, there's essentially two ways that we could be wrong about this. One, we are misevaluating Kotkin Yemi as a player. Right. Um, we, we have seen a lot of him because we have to watch the Habs a lot because the Habs play at least a lot. Um, and I think he's good. He had a very promising rookie year, but that rookie year was also, what, like three years ago at this point. And his last two NHL seasons have been closer to meh than anything. Uh, he was, you know, scratched at points by Dom Ducharme, which is not, you know, very, that's not a, a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Very good players have been scratched by coaches for dumb reasons. The same coach scratched Thomas Tatar for, you know, reasons unknown, more or less. Um, but, you know, it, it, he, he hasn't, his NHL track record is very nondescript. The upside is he has a somewhat useful NHL track record, and he's very, very young. So if you say he's a league average player now, but he's you know 21, as you said, and he'll, he'll improve, and now we can get this guy in our system, and we can improve him ourselves, we have his rights, he might be amenable to a long-term deal at something he's actually worth, then I can see it being worth the first and the third and the inefficient cap space for this year. But there's there's a decent amount of ifs there. Right. You know, if we're wrong on Kotkaniemi, if he's amenable to a long-term deal at a lower cap hit than, than $6 million. Uh, if, you know, Carolina is correct that, uh, or if Montreal doesn't, doesn't match, for obviously, as well. There's, there's, there's a handful of, of conditionals there that need to be met in order for this to actually really make sense from Carolina's point of view. And even then, I would think, or my, my, my intuition is that there would have been other ways to use a first and a third and this cap space that Kanyemi would have to take up long term um, for in order to make the team better. Now, that said, they may just be banking on, hey, you know, if we end up with Kanyemi, that's not even what we want out of the scenario, but we can still make that work. That's still not a bad situation for us. What we really want is just to really make things difficult for Montreal. And in that sense, I think they've done it in the case that, you know, there's... There's downsides to Montreal's perspective of both matching and not matching. It's enough that it's at least a decision you really have to think about. But the thing about Carolina is that they have generally seemed to to stick pretty rigorously to their vision of how these things are done. And then I see a deal like this where I have to, you know, get to the, okay, well, what if I'm wrong about this um, process to talk myself into it? Like, I say, okay, I have to be underestimating Kotkaniemi, and they have to have a handshake deal or something like that. 
Yeah, sorry, that's the other condition I didn't mention. Like you, if, if, if there's no handshake deal for the next year, and you're talking to me, I'm just going to say, okay, pay me another $6 million, or I'm just going to walk myself to UFA. Mm-hmm. Right? And as long as I don't get a big injury, I will have made more money just walking myself to UFA, continually taking QOs, than I would in any other way. Right. And so, it's a bit dicey there to me that we have to talk ourselves into it. Because, as I was saying, Carolina generally sticks to the plan. The plan is not necessarily to be nice people. There, there was actually a good article um, from this from Alan Wells, friend of the podcast, on um, his blog, where he talked about being data-driven is not a virtue. It's just a way of approaching the team, and it's smarter, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make uh, morally better decisions. And so that means things like signing Tony D'Angelo, I guess. I don't actually know if that's a good idea. Or letting Dougie Hamilton walk. Like, and so when the team seems to diverge from that kind of ruthless calculus, and then they have motives here where it's, we want to give Montreal the finger. We want to change the narrative on our team. It does make me wonder if the Canes got lured into a bit of a risky idea by secondary factors. And they still executed it in a way where you can see what they're going for in a lot of respects. Like, right. Yeah. And the worst case scenario is still not that bad for them. Yeah. Right? Like this cause... isn't going to you know, devastate the franchise. The worst scenario is you're down a first in the 20s uh, and a third. And you don't have Kotkaniemi in a year. And it's like, well, that's basically what happened to the Leafs with Nick Foligno, give or take. So. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially like paying for a rental yeah. more at, the, at that point. Um, and you know, the, more, the more likely outcome, if, if it doesn't get matched, is that you pay first and third, you have Kotkaniemi, you keep him around long term, and he's an okay middle six player for you for the rest of his career, mm-hmm. more or less. And, and at that point, it's like, okay, maybe you've overpaid him a little bit, but that's not, not a death sentence. So it's not, it's not the most optimal use of cap space or assets in my opinion but it's not awful from carolina's perspective so i mean we, we came in like kind of being a bit negative about mm-hmm. carolina's point of view i think part of it is like we tend to we give carolina a lot of benefit of the doubt that other like if if um buffalo did this or not buffalo buffalo's a bad example because <laughs> uh, they've actually been somewhat smart recently but if i don't know the flyers did this we'd be like okay this is just weird mm-hmm. right weird and dumb uh with carolina we give them a lot more credit <laughs> Yeah, we expect them to make smart decisions. Not Again, not necessarily nice decisions. I don't really admire them in a moral sense, but I don't think they're stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do wonder a little bit if secondary factors got in here. Anyway, I'll be interested to see what decision Montreal makes. I would let Kotkaniemi go, and I would try I w- to address, I would too. Yeah. And it might be just from Carolina's perspective. They think, okay, Montreal's not going to let him go. They're just going to match him. And we've, we've you know taken no cost mm-hmm. or taken very little risk. And we've just made things harder for Montreal, which is good. Yeah, from their perspective, um, if Montreal matches, then this is totally, like, obviously all they've done is tie up their own cap space for a week in August where they weren't going to do anything with it anyway. So it's it's <laughs> zero cost if that's the outcome. So it's a difficult decision for sure. Uh, and I'll be interested to see how it pans out. Yeah, so, I mean, just to, to sum up, I mean... Interesting and good to talk about. We got 20 minutes of content out of it in <laughs> August, where we normally have like a, effectively a fitter episode. Mm. Um, difficult choice for Montreal. Some down, some possible downside for Carolina, but it's not it's not ridiculous. And this could have maybe even been optimized more from from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Like this actually, you know, we kind of said early on, oh, this, we don't like this offer sheet that much from Carolina's perspective. Um, but this kind of shows that even 
that even a, a quote-unquote suboptimal mid-level offer sheet can still have significant upside and the downside isn't that bad. Because the worst case is you end up with a young player who is probably at least somewhat decent and maybe you overpay them a bit, but it's not a death sentence. Yeah, I do think actually just as that parting point, he's 21. And in all of the many player acquisitions that we're talking about last episode and that we're going to talk about in this one, most players are older than that. They're not in the ascending part of their growth curve, or at least not in this early ascension part, where it's quite possible Kotkaniemi will outperform this deal. I'm not saying I'm betting on it, but it's not that hard to imagine, oh, he takes a big leap forward and then he's worth $6.1 million, and the Canes look like geniuses. Mm-hmm. So that possibility is definitely also on the table. Yep, I, I, I agree. Okay, are we ready to survey the league? Yes, so hopefully this will take less than two and a half hours. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully, you can, you cannot, hopefully you cannot concurrently finish a Lord of the Rings movie while listening to this podcast. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's get started. Uh, we're going to start with the Nashville Predators. So um, Nashville was fairly busy. They traded Ryan Ellis to Philly for Philip Myers, Philippe Myers, I should say, uh, who has two years, two and a half million left. And Cody Glass, who's in the last year of his ELC. This actually ended up being a three-team deal where um, Nolan Patrick went from Philly to Vegas. And we'll talk about that a bit later as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'll, I'll go through the, uh, the other transactions and we'll just talk about them all together. Uh, they lost Kali Yarncroke to Seattle via expansion. Signed Mikhail Grandin, who was a rumored Leafs acquisition for some time, to four years, five million. Signed David Riddick, former Leaf, to 1 by 1.25. Signed Dante Fabro, 2 years by 2.4. Signed UC Saros, 4 years by 5 million. So, kind of a very varied set of transactions here. The Ryan Ellis trade is the one that immediately looks the worst to me from Nashville's perspective. Um, Given how crazy expensive defensemen were this offseason, it seems a little bit meager in terms of a return. It does. And so, that's our starting point is, okay, what is Nashville doing? That, what I always ask in the course of these survey pods is, basically, what is this team's plan? And often you can see it sort of running through the transactions they make, like their perception of where they are. The Ryan Ellis trade is, uh, we recognize we're probably not that great. They're a mediocre team at this point in time. And so Ryan Ellis, who is right now quite a good defenseman, but on a bulky contract that might age not that well, that's a move that you you make if you're looking more towards the future. And they wound up with Myers and Glass out of it. I'm not crazy about that. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys are, are young enough to have some upside. Glass mm-hmm. especially, but it doesn't look like either of them are big NHL difference makers. No. By the way, the one trade I forgot to mention was they traded Victor Arvidsson to uh, LA for a 2021 second and a 2022 third. Yeah, and that's, we- again, a definite, we are looking more towards the future. Yes. The problem that Nashville... And, and they have... Mm-hmm. Oh, they, they have Philip Forsberg and uh, Matthias Ekholm in the last year of their contracts as well. And so you wonder, are they going to play those out? Are they going to sign mm-hmm. them to extensions? Maybe not. Especially in the case of Ekholm, he's 31. Uh, unless Nashville is better than I expect, they probably ought to trade him. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, Ekholm's a very, very good defenseman. Uh, he's going... To, if he has a good year, and he probably will because he's a good defenseman... He's going to be worth a lot of money, a lot of assets in the rental market. He was supposed to be, tra- well, supposed to be. He was rumored to be on the trade market last deadline. 
as a, as a one plus one candidate, sort of like what we got with Jake Muzzin, where you get two playoff runs out of the player. Um, and, and at 3.75, that's a steal. Yeah. And I, so I was surprised they didn't do that. But what's hanging over Nashville is basically for the last, well, I want to say forever, but probably six or seven years, they've had good defensemen, but they haven't really found the kind of stud number one center that they keep looking for. And they've, right, and they've yeah. they've tried to spend. I don't know. They've, they've tried to like manifest it by spending a lot of money on good, not great centers. Um, and then those deals have ended up looking worse than they probably, sh- you know, we expected to because those players regressed in ways that were perhaps unexpected. Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne are the examples I'm referring to here. Right, and both of them are still on the Predators cap sheet for mm. at least four years at eight million per. That's a lot of money for yeah. guys who are not delivering for you in a huge way. And, you know, the rumor is they've shopped them. It hasn't gone anywhere. I'm not yeah, surprised. Yeah, you, pa- you have to package an asset to get rid of those deals. Right. And, you know, they've already bought out Kyle Turris, so that dead cap hit is going to be with them for a time. You look at this team and you think, okay, the forwards are eh, good enough. The defense is actually no longer that great. It's Roman Yossi and friends. And when Matthias Ekholm presumably gets traded, it gets worse again. Yeah, like this team looks yeah. like it's on the way out, and I, I think you can see moves like Ryan Ellis as a prelude to a rebuild. Um, which is sort I, of yeah, I, I think they're in the early stages of a full rebuild. They, I mean, maybe this is an example of us being too harsh or not giving enough credit for teams that extract good prices for their players when they sell them off in a rebuild. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think Nashville extracted a good price for Ryan Ellis. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ryan Ellis went for less effectively than Rasmus Ristolainen to the same team. Yeah, and which is, or maybe it's player evaluation, just like that kind of fucked. Or it it might be. <laughs> and, and Ellis has like years and years left on a deal, which it may might age badly, but is good right now. Yeah, I would have expected Ellis to command more because I thought he was quite well thought of, and his cap hit is six point two five. Teams we saw left and right were signing defensemen to deals that are probably going to end as albatrosses, you, you know, for an additional $2 million. Now, maybe you say, look, the downside risk on Ellis is, is immense. But there are still enough teams that are in a pure win-now position that I would have thought that the, there would have been more bidding. I also... The downside, yeah. the downside risk of Rasmus for Shalane is they have to play it, and that's not good either. <laughs> that apparently made no difference. So, you know, this is the market that we're expecting Nashville to be playing in. And, you know, we can certainly say... They had a pretty good run where they were a genuinely very good team. They made the Yeah, finals. they made a cup final. It, it didn't work out. Life is cruel. Now they're staring down a rebuild, a couple of ugly contracts, and the early stages of it aren't going that well. The first thing you want to see when you tr- change to the future is good asset returns for players while they still have value. Ellis still had value, and it doesn't look like they captured it. I don't think they did that great on Arvidsson either. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, well, Ar- Arvidsson also had a couple down years, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's possible the market on him was just soft. Um, yeah. Deshane and Johansson are probably not very tradable at the moment. And then Roman no, Yossi I, I, I think, is... No, I think those, those trades, those deals scream, if you're going to trade them, you have to trade them in the last couple of years of it, right? Yeah, and so they're just going to have to... You're sitting on them for now. But... Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. They aren't as far down enough yet that it's inconceivable they make the playoffs 
or anything like that. You know, UC right. Soros. And, and part of the reason... Yeah. Yo, yeah, you're about to, oh, that was actually the reason I was about to mention UC Soros. They signed him to a four-year, $5 million deal. Um, and he, they're essentially committed to him as their goalie of the future now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was behind Pecorine for a long time. But his, his NHL track record is good. It is. And Soros absolutely could be a very good long-term goaltender for, for them. And he could carry them to the playoffs, especially in a, in a you know, relatively weaker conference. Mm-hmm. But I, I look at this and I think, okay, this team doesn't have a real first line. It has two yep. respectable pairings, probably, anchored by Yossi and Ekholm for as long as that lasts. But it's no longer the kind of double-barreled thing that they used to have going on where their whole top four was guys that you would want on your top pair. Mm-hmm. And, and so that strength has atrophied. And I do so I do get a sense of, okay, they've started rebuilding. They haven't done amazingly at it so far and yeah of course there's more to come but it also feels a bit like a you can't be half pregnant thing where they they haven't embraced it in a major way well yeah yeah i guess it's tbd it, we'll see what they do with ekholm and forsberg i don't think they should sign either of them to their next deals mm-hmm. um both those guys are on very good deals right now and i think they should just try and trade them uh hope they have really good put them in season uh, in positions to succeed to juice their value as much as you possibly can then trade them at the rental uh in the rental market at the deadline yeah and i think a a lot of how we will feel about their rebuild will be dependent on the package that they get for these two guys Mm -hmm. um they signed a couple medium-ish term contracts to Mikael grandland and dante fabro the grandland deal just seems rich I mean, uh, again, like if, if they're going to commit to a rebuild, I guess they're just going to have, they need to pay someone and they need to play someone, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to have, you don't want to go full sabers and tank, right. uh, like burn everything to the ground and then you have nothing to build back up after. So maybe that's the idea there with, with, with Grandland. Um, with Dante Fabro, he's an interesting player because he was, you know, a highly thought of prospect and his NHL sample just looked horrific. Yeah, so they'd better hope at some point that he starts looking like the real deal because thus far it hasn't happened. Yeah. Well, and, and not, I mean, two by 2.4 is, you yeah. know, not an expensive contract by any means, but it actually, even as a cheap contract, this grades out poorly by models because Fabro hasn't done anything at the NHL level. But it's possible he shows some improvement and that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. It's just, and again, it's a bit unfair to say this because they're right at the beginning of the rebuild, but I look at this team and I yeah. think there's not a ton coming. Now, they do have $12 million in cap space, so maybe they're just going to save some money for a while, which is also fine. But Maybe they're a Jack Eichel destination. <laughs> We're finally going to get that 1C. This will be it. Fifth times of the charm. So yeah, there's just a bit of a... I, I question where they're... Go- well, I don't question where they're going. I know where they're going. I question how they're going about it in the very early stages. It's just... I'm staring at this, and I think there is a lot of work to do to get this team to a point where it is contending in five years. Because right now, it's mediocre and slipping. And I also question whether David Poyle, who has been the general manager for the entirety of Nashville's existence, it's an incredible run, but I don't know how long he's going to keep doing it. He's 71 years old. Um, Now, Lou Lamorello is still managing the Islanders, and he's older than uh, Poyle will be in five years. But there's a question of, okay, does he want to stick around for this rebuild? Does ownership still trust him to be around for this rebuild? Because some of the mistakes that are hanging over them are his. All of them are his, really. So I think that Nashville is is beginning 
a process that is not going to be a ton of fun for their fans. Yeah, I, it, it, as you said, they're in the unfun part of being a fan with, or, be, you know, of a life cycle of a team where you, you had your run, it's petered out in, you know, some less than desirable ways. And then you're having the reckoning of like, okay, well, what are we mm-hmm. as a team? And the answer is probably not good enough to contend, not bad enough to tank unless we make some different decisions. And then it's a long, painful process. And I mean, I, the one thing I, I, that annoys me uh, is when people say, oh, that team should just tank because there's costs to tanking. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to watch bad hockey, right? You you do lose fans when you tank, and that's not an issue in a place like Toronto. And Nashville has a very, has a strong local fan base, but they also have to compete with you know college football and NFL football and you know things that are inherently more popular than hockey is. Mm-hmm. So they, they, it is a different calculus for them. At the same time, I I struggle to see how they can do anything besides that right now because you know uh, th- what they have currently isn't good enough, and the 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 team isn't likely to get better because their best players and best contracts are kind of already at prime or post-prime age. Right. As as rewarding as it is to make the playoffs and to get those few games of gate revenue in the subsequent spring, that's about all this team can aspire to. And it's by no means guaranteed that they're going to do that in the Central Division, which should be at least reasonably competitive. So I, I do think that they probably should more fully embrace this as painful as that is to do and that looks like trading philip forsberg or trading matthias ekholm now again the the clouding thing about this is that you make this decision at the trade deadline when you've played 55 games and if you see soros goes on a heater you can convince yourself this team is very different from Mm -hmm. what it is but i i don't buy that they're really any good they're they're just mediocre okay all right, so that's probably enough on them. We can move to the uh, Devils. So, yeah, the Devils had a fairly busy offseason. Mm. Uh, as we've alluded to a couple times, they did sign Dougie Hamilton. Um, so we'll, we'll go through the other transactions. They acquired Ryan Graves, two years, $3.16 million left for Mikhail Maltsev, who is a real person, and uh, the 61st overall pick in 2021, which was Sean Behrens. Uh, this was just a cap-saving move from Colorado. New Jersey gets a decent top-four defenseman out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Solid there. Signed Dougie Hamilton, seven years, nine million. Uh, we talked about this last time, right? When we talked about Carolina, great contract, possibly a little bit rich. That's the price. Or sorry, he's a great player. Contract is possibly a little bit rich. That's the price you pay to win a guy in free agency. Um, and the question, which I think is going to overarch everything we say about uh, this team, is: Can you take advantage of the years where Dougie Hamilton is going to be Dougie Hamilton, mm-hmm. and not the year where he's the LTIR remains of Dougie Hamilton? Right. You know, I think Carolina should have signed this deal. I'm a little less comfortable with signing it in New Jersey's position. I still think, probably to some extent, I like it, just because get good players is not a bad idea, and you do want to do something. Well, Heesher and Hughes are alive, but this team was terrible last year. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an open question of, is this a playoff team? I would say no, currently looking at it. No, I think... They're still on on the outside looking in. At least initially, they can make the playoffs. And part of what gives me a bit more confidence is, or what should give anyone a bit more confidence, is that they signed Jonathan Bernier to two years, four point one two five million, mm-hmm. help shore up their goaltending with Mackenzie Blackwood. And you hope that you know between the two of them, you can get average or you know roughly average or better goaltending across the year. They signed Thomas Tatar two years by four point five million, um, and you know their winger. 
core entirely last year was just awful. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really bad. Tatar helps that a lot. Right. And, and so they ought to be better. Yes. But... I think Dom Lucician said they were, you know, by his model, the most improved team in the league um, through the offseason. Now, that's a bit of damning with faint praise because it's a lot easier to improve when you suck. Yeah. They went from having a ghastly defense group, um, you know, Damon Severson and that was like it basically in terms of the, the real value they were capturing. And now they've added Hamilton and Graves. But first of all, I think Dougie Hamilton is going to look worse. You will look worse going from Carolina to New Jersey. And I do not believe that we are fully capturing that impact. It's just, it's going to be tougher for him. And similarly yeah, I, with I Ryan Graves, with that, but, Colorado but also Jersey. Hamilton is like, has, has been on Hamilton in particular has been on like three teams and he's looked good on all. Yeah. He's, he's going to be a good player in any circumstance. I just think, a little bit of the value goes down at the top end. And then for the first couple of years, New Jersey can't expect to be very good. And then you look hmm. at this and you're thinking, okay, I'm paying a sufficient price to win a free agency bidding war, which is what this looks like, for, I guess, the age 30 to 32 seasons of Dougie Hamilton is what I'm going to be contending. Now, it's hmm. that said, it's not the boom Stanley Cup thing is, is silly, right? You do have to start getting better, and that's not an instant process. And that involves acquiring yes. good players. But I do think that there are teams that this deal makes more sense for than New Jersey. Hamilton is yeah. such a good player, it, it probably still makes some sense for them, but it's, it's not zero risk. No, it, it's not zero risk. But I think, on the whole, I don't have an issue with that contract, especially because they also have to make the case to... Um, Nico Hishier and mm. well not he, Nico Hishier he's, re, he's re-signed long term but to Jack Hughes of like hey we're, we're serious we're trying to contend this is a place where you can build the rest of your career mm-hmm. and Hughes is now in a position to sign an extension for the record so mm-hmm. and I imagine they're going to go long on him they they should and you know they're in a position to do so Hamilton and Hishier are their only long term commitments we mentioned this previously but their entire cap sheet aside from those two players clears in two years Except for the, yeah. the Corey Schneider buyout and the Ilya Kovalchuk recapture penalty, which I have just noticed is still there until 2025. That's funny. Yeah. But still. Yeah. And they're sitting on 12 million in space. Right. Another Eichel team. So that, this is what we're saying for every, te- every team with $10 million in space is an Eichel, Eichel team. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they have freedom of action. And I don't even think the Devils have been foolish for like the last several years. They've made a lot of decisions that made sense. It just some of them haven't worked out. I think the yeah the big one is just the, the their goaltending last year was by far the biggest reason they were in the in the toilet. Yeah, and Corey right. Schneider they, just they, retired they, one weekend of the season. Yes. So yeah, they they looked you know besides, goaltending aside, they looked like an average to below average team, which I think tracks with the rest of their roster. Mm-hmm. And right now, yeah. depending on how much you believe in Jonathan Bernier, they've they've shored that up to some extent. You'd hope so. So. I I do understand what they're doing here. I just I don't think it's working quite yet and the question is when does this come together if they take a big leap this year and you know you mentioned in the notes Hughes and he share that would be great Hughes especially you know he's 20 he already had a stronger year this year if he has a stronger year next year great yeah and I mean he's here I think we've been we've been fairly high on him He, he he's like you know it's sneaky you know, put up or shut up time for him. It's like, are you just going to be an okay player or are you going to be a standout at the NHL level? Mm-hmm. Like, it, right. there's a point where you capture a lot of value at 7.25 a year for the, the foreseeable future and that requires him to take a step. Otherwise, it's just <laughs> like, well, I guess that's okay. 
It's a bit like the, the Clayton Keller deal mm. in that sense. It's like, okay, we, we know this we know this guy's at least pretty good, mm-hmm. right? Um, and he has the ability to make this deal look amazing from our perspective, from the team's perspective. Uh, is he going to do it? We don't know. I do think, you know, we're generally in favor of signing good young players for term. But it's worth mentioning there are scenarios that happen where they just don't get a lot better enough to make it a big value deal. And I, I would actually say one of the worst, it, part of, one of the worst situations to be in as a team, or one of the worst situations to find yourself with as a team, is when you have a young high draft pick who is good but not great. Because mm. they're not going to come cheap because they were a high draft pick, so everyone knows that they were highly reputed at one point. They have that um, that bias, that uh, kind of baked in, and you know you tanked or were bad to get them, so you have this acquisition cost of, oh god, this is why I watched, you know, Cody CC for so long or whatever, you know. Sorry, just the first bad defenseman that came to mind. Um, but like, this is why I watched this awful hockey for so long is to get this guy. And then this guy's like, good, and just good enough to talk yourself into him, just good enough to argue online about how he's actually worth his contract, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's actually kind of a brutal situation when you get a high pick who doesn't turn out to be a game changer. Yeah. It... Because of all, you know what you spent to get them and what you have to spend to keep them. And we see that. I think Heischer's actually a very good example of that. Yeah, you can trap yourself into something. I still, you know, I do like him a lot. And I think that um, he's a very fine player. Yeah, it's just he needs to take yeah. a step to, to... If New Jersey wants to become a great team, they need him to be a, a great player because they don't have any standouts on their roster besides him, or any young standouts besides him and Hughes. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're, you, you need top-end NHL players, and those are their two choices to become one. Right, and so they're they're really counting on uh, getting that kind of delivery as they try and rise out of the cellar here. Uh, I yes. I think I still think this is probably at least a year away. Yeah, and uh, you know if you gave them truth serum, may, I think they might say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like they they would have preferred if you know they could freeze Dougie Hamilton for a year and start his contract the following year, but you can't do that, mm-hmm. right? It's a and elite NHL players are, are a lumpy market. You can't just go to a store and buy one when you want it. You're, you're, you know, you're restricted to when they're available. Yeah, and they do. And in, they, they have so much freedom of action in terms of cap space that I do think we talk a lot about teams that seem to be trapped or constrained in their options. The Devils have so many options. They may not be like the number one free agent destination, but I don't think that they're like terrible. No, they're not. They're not unattractive. Yeah, I mean, fine. I don't think there's a massive difference mm-hmm. in terms of like I, I bet Devils players and like Rangers players live next to each other. Probably, that's very right? possible. So yeah, you're. I don't think if the Rangers are like a huge free agent acquisition, and they certainly seem to be, I don't see why the Devils are necessarily so much worse. Like I, I think they can if they're a good team and they're attractive and well run, they will be a free agent destination as well. And they just did get Dougie Hamilton. Mm-hmm. So. Although Hamilton might have just been really enthralled by New York City's museum. <laughs> we do have to account for that possibility. So, uh, yeah, it's it's by no means all bad here. It's just it, the hardest thing to do is to start getting better again, right? And I think that they're unquestionably going to be better in a couple of years. Unless, well, unless things go disastrously wrong. It's just, are we seeing the seeds of a team that is eventually going to contend? And if so, what does that look like? And that looks like big steps from Hughes. He's sure... Hamilton looking as good as he ought to look in New Jersey. And so if those things all happen, even if New Jersey misses the playoffs this year, this year can be a success. It's just a question of, are we seeing those things 
that presage future greatness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, man, the Islanders. Ugh. Yeah, not much to discuss with the Islanders, so they haven't announced anything, really. No. It's, it's been been weird. Um, so we can actually, we'll make this relatively quick. Um, they signed Andy Green, one year, 750K, to be a coach with a roster spot. Um, they dumped Nick Letty's expiring contract for a 2021 second-round pick, which became Atu Rati, and then Richard Panik, who is two years, 1.375 for New York, uh, thanks to some retention from Detroit. We talked about this before. It seemed like Eisman really did Lou a favor, slash Lou negotiated really, really well, mm-hmm. uh, which he tends to do. At the, uh, they yeah. signed... Sorry, go ahead. I, I'm just going to say, this is... Uh, I, I do think... I, and I've banged this drum enough times, but I do think that Lou gets underrated online in terms of his raw GM quality because he does things that look silly. But, like, he does a lot of things that, even putting aside his old man grit magic... Are, are like like fairly smart or fairly successful at any rate, and mm. you know he just I think he just straight up won the Nick Letty trade, and he beat Nick I uh, sorry about, he beat Steve Eiserman at it, who is uh, a revered GM or at least much admired. I, I just I have to grudgingly give Lou a lot of credit because he has done a lot of things that have either been better than I expected at the time or have worked out better than I thought they would. So I think one of the things that hurts Lou, mm-hmm. um, and this is this is something that I, I've thought about generally, it's like, and it's true with hockey players, it's true in just life, but like people who make a visible mistakes but then benef- you know create benefits that are um, less easily viewed mm. are always kind of underrated. Side note, this is why it's very, very hard to get people to fund, like, for example... Um, or, or take climate change uh, initiatives, right? Because the, the the benefit of that are things that don't happen. Mm-hmm. It's l- fewer extreme weather events, and that's hard. To, like, the absence of things is hard for people to internalize, hard for people to measure. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, sorry, that's a that's a side note. But, like, with Lou, the, the, he, he makes dumb mistakes, and, like, he hands out some dumb contracts. You know, the, the Zaitsev deal is an obvious example, the Marlowe deal, mm-hmm. right? But he captures good value on the contracts on a lot of the contracts he does sign. And, like, the advantage of that is, okay, we've saved 500K versus what this other GM probably would have done on this player. We've signed a million over the course of four years based on what, what this other GM may have done on a player. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, I think, is it's not as easily internalized for, for a lot of fans. This is just, like, a, a half-baked thing. No, I, I think there's some truth in that. And there's an easy way to look at it. No one on the Islanders currently has a cap hit higher than $7 million. And mm-hmm. it's just that sort of striking thing. They've made a, a tough, balanced team that for a long time just counted on punching above its weight in fancy stats. And then last year started to look pretty good. Yeah, to the point where I think if you're saying, oh, the Islanders are like a paper tiger team, I think you're working with outdated information. I think they're, I think they're just a straight-up good team. Yeah, and to be clear, I thought as of last season that they were kind of plateauing wherever they were, and you know, they did look better. Now, I do look at this roster, and I wonder if there's... You know, they seem to do fine without a lot of marquee offensive talent. But nonetheless, that doesn't make it less painful to lose the offensive talent you do have. And Jordan yes, Everly and is part of that. Yes, and he, he's, he's gone. gone to, to Seattle yeah. now. Um, and, you know, to your point, the, the Isles are a good team, but they're not a flawless team. And their flaw has always been, oh, you know, who who is going to consistently produce offense on this team? And they've they've had periods in the regular season where it completely dries up for them. They'll have like week-long periods where they never score more than two goals or three goals in a game, mm-hmm. and 
you know, that, that hurts them. That They're a flawed team in that sense. Um, but they also have some really good players, and they signed one of those really good players, Adam Pellick, to eight years, 5.75 million. Um, back end might not look great, because I, I think, I, f- I forget how old Pellick is. He's 27. Um, he's 27? Yeah, so the back end, you know, when he's 35, probably doesn't look amazing. But that's a steal right now, and then, you know, you always have the Lubar. Yeah, and so he's gotten out of a, some deals that I would have thought would have been somewhat harder to escape. But also, they've consistently made or found good defensemen. Like, yes. um, Devin Taze was not that touted until he rose into his own uh, with the Outers. Same with Adam Pellick. He was not a yeah. household name. He still isn't, but he's just turned out to be very good. And I think, to be clear, some of that is the very Trots magic, but Devin Taze has turned out to be a good player. Yeah, and, and I mean, yeah. Th- this is the duality of man to some extent where, you know, they, they find these guys like Devin Taves and they, they mismanage the cap and they have to trade him. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're able to get actual assets for him and, you know, that's, help, that's helpful to them as well. Yeah. If there's a knock on the Islanders, and I think there is and this is a big one, is I still can't convince myself that this is a really top-tier team. I just don't believe that they're quite there. I think they're good. But, yeah, no, I, th- I think I think they're good. I think they're going to be good again. Um, but yeah, they, they still do lack that those top end difference makers that I think have hurt them a bit in the playoffs. And look, they've made it very far in the playoffs. They could have they could have made a cup final, mm-hmm. right? They absolutely could. They've they've they beat Boston in a playoff series. Yeah, God knows we, we would trade a lot to do that. Yeah. Um, so you know, as annoying as it is, you know they they've they've done well, and I think. Some people take this to, to be like, oh, look at how much better they've, got, they've become without Tavares. To me, what this makes me think is, man, if they'd been able to keep Tavares, they could have done even more. Yeah, because he would be a great addition to them. He's an immense offensive talent. And, you know, people like to knock on it. I think his defense is fine. He works hard. Like, he's, he's played tough minutes successfully in Toronto when he probably yeah. would have had less support. Now, he, he would have had to commit to the Barry Trot system, but I think he would have done that just fine. So No, absolutely. Yeah. I, with Tavares, I, I don't question his ability or his desire to just play any role that he thinks will help the team win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, like it, it, would, it would have changed the Islanders' cap structure up a bit, but they could have managed it, and they, they would have just, like, it, maybe they, if they avoid some of the, the more unsavory contracts they've signed recently, mm-hmm. they could have afforded Tavares and kept most of the team that's done really well the past few years together. And they, I think at that point, yeah, if you add John Tavares to most of the same roster, it, it's, you know, it, it's hard to compare because it's two very different paths and we don't know what the knock-on effect of having Tavares would be on the cap. We don't know what the team would necessarily be without it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, or sorry, with him, uh, if it, how different it would be to what it is now. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, from their perspective, it is, I know their fans still hate him and understandably so, um, but I think they would have been even better with it. Yeah. So from their perspective, it is just really a shame that yeah. they they couldn't make that happen. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, I know you're not saying this, but like they did try. You know. They said, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. So yeah, it looks like a balanced roster. I wonder about the offense. I assume they'll get Bavillier signed to some. And and they need to sign Sorokin as well. Yeah. I I have no doubt that they're going to do that. And Lou always captures value on RFAs. So, I, yeah, I think those deals are going to end up looking great. Probably. And actually, in, in this new NHL where <clears throat> so much elite talent comes through young and there's, there's like this commitment to having your star players be, you know, be focal points of the team even at very young ages when they're good enough, mm-hmm. right? And that probably hasn't changed that much, but I, I guess it, 
with the waves of young talent that's coming into the league, we, we see it more prominently now. I think that's a very, very good uh, trait to have as a GM, mm-hmm. right? In particular, it, it's really, really valuable when you have these, you know, high-end RFAs who are captured on good deals from a team perspective. Yeah, and there's also, you know, just a, a bottom line fact about Lou probably is that, okay, if he builds this, he didn't do it in Toronto, but if he builds these defense-oriented teams, maybe that kind of suits them better because defense is probably undervalued in the market relative to points. And so mm-hmm. he does seem to find these good defensive teams. Like, the Islanders were stifling last season. They've been stifling for a while, and I... It's, it's not fun for me to acknowledge, but I, th- I think it's been going on so long and it's worked well enough that you, you have to say, look, they've, they've just done a lot of things that have turned out to be right or at least survivable. Yeah, and, and on top of that, their goaltending has been consistently good the past few years to the point where they've had good goaltenders that, that have passed through, right? But it's been a variety of different goaltenders. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you basically just start wondering, okay, you know, is this one of those teams where the system slash goaltending coach actually is making a difference. Inevitably, whenever fans, whenever a a good goaltender moves teams, fans say, well, it was actually just our goaltending coaching system. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the time that, you know, that has a, that has a spotty track record, but it's been a few years where they've had at the very worst league average goaltending with a really different collection of goalies almost every year. Yeah. We like letting Robin Lehner go was quite the choice from them. And Lehner looks like a great goalie. Yeah. They've done it, and they've suffered few ill effects from doing so. So, I, you know, I come not to uh, to praise them, but I, I can't bury them either. This team is, I think, a playoff team in the Metro, and I think the Metro is a tough division, but it it doesn't have either of what I think are the standout best teams in the NHL either, in Tampa or Colorado. And so, you know, it's not out of the mm-hmm. question to me that the Islanders win this division. Yep, I agree. So, okay. Uh, All right, another team. Uh, we're, we're we're in the essentially the New York range. We went through New Jersey, the Islanders, and now we are going to uh, the Rangers. So, uh, the, the, so you know when um, Milan Lucic ran Ryan Miller, mm. and the Sabers like I think didn't do anything, and they spent the next few off seasons essentially with that. Pl- video playing in their mind on repeat and building their team with the idea of like we can never let that happen again Mm -hmm. and then it it sort of ruined them guess what (laughs) yeah so this is the the 2020 version of that where they have the the rangers have the video of tom wilson being a shithead to and like almost braining artemi panarin Mm -hmm. and they're that's playing on their mind and repeat and they are, they've decided that they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that never happens again, even if it means they're going to be worse at winning hockey games. Mm-hmm. So to that end, uh, they signed Barkley Goodrow, six years, $3.641 million. They also traded a seventh to get his rights. Um, they, they got the worst player on the Coleman Gord Goodrow line. Yeah. <laughs> basically. And it's, it's like, I don't mind that cap hit for that player, but it's like, Six years. It's just, there's a lot of time for things to go wrong. Yeah, and especially with these mid-level players where it's like, they don't have to fall back that much for that to start getting kind of painful. Now, mm-hmm. we did just talk about the Islanders. The Islanders have signed a lot of players like this, and it's sometimes worked out better than I expect. On the other hand, like, the Leo Komarov deal that Lou signed, just look, that was just bad. 
and yeah. so I, I think that this will look fine at first, but. Wait, and yeah. w- with the items, like the, same with the the Pajot deal. Although Pajot randomly becomes you know amazing every playoffs. I don't. I have no idea if that's like just an actual thing or not. But like based on regular season play, it's not worth it. Based on playoff play, yeah. it makes it a little bit better. But it's 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 the same idea. And actually, that's what I was referring to. Where like if if they trimmed those contracts, they and managed to keep Tavares, like that actually would have been a really really high end team. I think so. Yeah. Um, the Barkley Goodrow right. thing, where I'm like, the, oh, that's that's a bit dicey. The next one, I'm just like, that's a mistake. I have I have no fucking clue what they're so. Fulman and I are looking at the same do, <laughs> the same line on our Google Doc, which is not useful in a podcast because you guys can't see what we're looking at. We're looking at the line that says traded Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blaze, who makes 1.5 million for this year, and a 2022 second rounder. And the note that I have is just what. <laughs> and I think that that is a good note. Now I think they were scared of his Arbor Ward. Buchnevich had a great year, and the eventual deal that he signed in St. Louis, we'll mention it with them, but it was four years at 5.8 per. But I think that's a good deal. Yeah, that's a really good deal. (laughs) He's 26. That's not, he's making less than your Sperry (laughs) Cockney. We're going to use that as a benchmark for every single contract now. No, no, but like, for real. Yeah. For real. He is. And like, he's a great, offensively talented, he's a guy who just does good things on the ice i don't get why and they traded him for a return that seems pretty paltry really shit yeah. actually uh so o- over the next four years um there's a decent chance that isperi kakanyemi earns more than pavel, pavel buchnevich that's yep that's a fair point right and actually like it, it you'd rather at this point have buchnevich for what was it what'd 5. you say 5.4 5.8 5.8 sorry mm-hmm. um for 5.8 for four years, then Konkin Yemi on a one-year 6.1 million RFA deal um, that you, you know, who would then be an RFA and you have to retain his rights. You would so much rather have the Buchnevich, right? And this isn't to go back to talk to Carolina, but this is just to contextualize. Like, you know, having Buchnevich on this deal is really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's much better than this other situation that a team, like, kind of is going to be forced into now. And, and will receive assets for, right? So it's, like, I don't see why Carolina, or not why Carolina, sorry, why the Rangers were afraid of this deal, of this possible deal. Did Buchnevich not want to play there? I assume he would have. I mean, yeah, there was, I'd never heard any rumors that he wouldn't, but. There are, I mean, you don't hear too often about people wanting out of the New York Rangers. but Especially, yeah, yeah like, I, I, this is, you know, I guess a, a stereotype to some extent, but I mean, Buchnevich is, is Russian, mm-hmm. There's a very large Russian population in, in New York, right? It's there's a very large population of everything in New York. It's New York. Yeah, uh, w- he was playing with Artemi Panarin, mm-hmm. another high-end Russian player. Like he seemed, uh, Dave Shosturkin on that team. Like they, they have a core of like good young Russian players who you would have thought they, they would make it attractive mutually to all play together. And the thing right? is, and, is that and make it feel comfortable. When we look at a player with terrific fancy stats, with which Brunevich currently has, you think okay. Maybe they don't believe those. Maybe they think they're overrating him. Maybe they are overrating them. That's not unheard of. But also, Bushnevich's counting stats are really good, too. Like, just by, you know, the points. And, you know, he had 48 points in 54 games last year. That's great. 46 the year before in 68. Even if you think he was running a bit hot, he's a 50-point player. He's big. He finishes well. And you can say, well, that point total 
maybe makes the arbitration award more scary. But again, the deal that he signed in St. Louis is good. So I really do not mm. think that this made a lot of sense. Maybe they were trying to free up cap space for Jack Eichel. No. But I don't know. So I guess that's a possibility. But then, like, I mean, if... if I feel like if you traded... If you were trying to free up space for Eichel, like, which never would be a really good trade chip to go the other way. Because it's like, we could say you have... Here's this really good young NHLer who can be part of the next great Sabres team. Yes. And, right? you know, who can play on a line with, uh, say, Dylan Cousins or any other center that you care to name. Uh, it would have been appealing, you would think. Yeah, like, I imagine the Sabres... When we talked to to, our, to to Kevin about okay, you know what would the Sabers really want? They, they said like really like good young NHL players and picks, and I think uh, I think uh, Butchnevich would fit the good young NHL players part of that really well, while also not being as onerous and difficult to to manage as part of a cap as someone like Mitch Marner, who's obviously just a much bigger contract, even though he's a better player. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I, I think that this is a mistake. That's that's like my bottom yeah, line. I think this Blazes, is a bad idea. Sammy Blaze is like is is a fourth liner. Yeah, and then a twenty twenty two second rounder. You are almost certainly not getting anyone as good as Pavel Buchnevich there. Yeah, so that's kind of the end of that. And the you know you can look at these moves in isolation, isolation, excuse me, and then say okay maybe it's part of the bigger plan. But we've already talked about the Eichel thing has stalled. The Rangers are apparently driving a hard bargain there. Good for them, I guess. But then you look at the other moves that they've made, and I'm thinking just. I don't see a benefit tied to this transaction that justifies it. I think, yeah, this is bad. So, anyway, bottom line. Yeah. Up. Yeah. So, they signed Greg McKegg with an egg for, with an arm, with a leg for an arm and an arm for a leg. <laughs> um, they signed Jared Tenorti. Uh, my comment here was, but why? I did not know he was still playing. Nor, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they signed, they re-signed Filipito, um, two by 2.3 million. This was like one moment of sanity. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like, that's fine. That's fine. He hasn't been maybe um, everything they, that they would have hoped from from his draft spot, but like he's he's been he's yeah. fine. Um, so I'm I'm gonna put you on. Who's a better player right now, Filipito or Yasperi Kakanyemi? I think it's Kakanyemi, but like, I think that's a conversation that we're having. So <laughs> I mean, that's that's tricky. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look in more detail at, at Heedle. I think I think he's he's turned into like a pretty like passable offensive player, and he did actually produce this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I'm put, I'm putting up their their goals above replacement right now. Yeah, um, he looks good by hockey viz anyway. When in doubt, resort yeah. to the stats, right? Yeah. So Heedle was better than Kotkaniemi last year by goals above replacement, uh, but was worse. Like last year was his only good year, effectively. My biggest concern uh, with Kotkaniemi is just, like, the offense doesn't seem that great. Like, yeah. I think he can play NHL-caliber defense, although he had a bit of a down year. But Kyle can at least score a little bit. So, yeah, d- despite that, you know, I think Heedle has a decent chance of delivering on that deal. 2.3 is very manageable. Yeah. So. But like, to the point we were making about Kotkaniemi and, and, and Buchnevich, like, basically, the situation that... We said Carolina's in a fine situation, even if... Uh, Kanyemi, even if they have to absorb Kakanyemi, it's not it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the Buchne- having Buchnevich's deal is like so much better than that, and Carolina has potentially traded a first and a third for that not awful situation with with uh, Kakanyemi. 
but then St. Louis traded nothing, effectively nothing, like a second-round pick and a fourth-liner for this a much better situation with Buchnevich, mm-hmm. which just illustrates how bad a deal this is from you know, New York's perspective, how good it is from uh, St. Louis's. It's not, this isn't really meant to say, like, oh, Carolina should have done that. The option wasn't available to them based on timing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, it's just, I really want to emphasize how much of an issue, how bad this move was, in my opinion, from the Rangers. I, I, I do not understand it. Anyways, um, moving on to another move I don't really understand. They traded a third-round pick for Ryan Reeves, who had a year at $1.75 million, and then they extended him for another year at $1.75 million. Um, that's a 35 plus extension, by the way. So can't like, if it's bought out, stays on the cap. If you know, can't, can't do anything with it really. (laughs) My, again, my comment here was, but why? I mean, I think we know why, but we question the, uh, the legitimacy of that reasoning. Look, they wanted a tough guy who's going to go and tell Tom Wilson to go fuck himself. And that's great. What, What? And Reeves has built up a reputation as like the anti- like the, you know, the Tom Wilson deterrent system. Yeah, and, like, okay, I, I'm I'm going to try and give some deference to guys who get punched in the face a lot. That's tough. Respect. Reeves seems like a gamer in, in all respects. But the thing about Tom Wilson that's frustrating is that he's also a quite good power forward. He's a really good player. Yeah. Ryan Reeves hasn't really been that. You know, he's he's a fourth-line winger at best. Yeah, no, and, and Reeves has had moments in his career where he was he, he was part of, like, a legitimately useful Vegas fourth-line that could actually play minutes. Mm-hmm. But that part of his career has come and gone. Yeah, he, you know, he's 34 now. And again, even if you, you get him and you say, okay, we'll see how it works out, was it necessary to extend him to an additional year? Yeah, like, sight unseen. Yeah, it, like, I, I mean, I guess you really want to establish some kind of commitment to him, but it's like, you could at least play it out and see if he's still worth it. Because I, you know, I'm not sure 1.75 would still be there the year after that. Anyway, like, now that's it. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. It's not a ton of money, but it's just, it, it, it trims you at the edges. And if you're, if you find yourself looking for half a million or 700 grand to facilitate an Eichel deal, and then you look at this transaction and you think, oh, that made our lives harder for not a great reason, but okay, whatever. Um, Yeah. Shesterkin? They, they yeah. yeah, they signed Igor Shesterkin, four years, 5.67 million. Um, they're going long on a goalie quite early. Could be amazing, could be awful, could be anything in between. Early signs of his NHL track record are good, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like, this is one of those things where like, the Rangers have had this really good young team, and they, they fast-tracked it by getting Panarin. No issue there. You, when you can get Artemi Panarin, you get Artemi Panarin. He's the best winger in the league, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um... And then they've kind of continued to fast-track it in other ways that have been less successful. Like, the, Tru- the Truba deal has ended up not looking very good because mm-hmm. Truba's, like, declined. Uh, and then all the stuff this offseason has been weird. And, and it's like it's undercut how, how well they've actually managed the transition from Henrik Lundqvist, <laughs> you know, one of the great goalies of our generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have a guy like Shesterkin who is good. They've ha- they have Georgiev still. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's, 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 it's been like a real mixed bag, but yeah, th- this deal is fine. It's really everything else that's, that's weird. They signed Patrick Nemeth three years, 2.5 million. That's fine. He's a guy. Um, basically they tried to get tougher and I don't think it made them a better team. Right. And so they might still reasonably anticipate being a better team despite that, 
because they're, you know, built on these young players who are probably going to get better. Like Lafreniere is almost certainly going to be better next year than this year. Mm -hmm. Like I would bet very heavily on that. Capo Caco is still young. And if they get Jack Eichel, I think, I, I don't think that it makes some of those other deals good, but I think I sort of get it. To, to a greater they have to give up they have to give up I was gonna say one of Lafreniere or Kako in a, in a Ico deal it'll be Kako yeah like yeah Lafreniere not giving up Lafreniere yeah and, and maybe they think they can even pull it off without giving up Kako um I know Sabres Kevin has made fun of Rangers fans for declaring every single prospect they have untouchable yeah I, I mean at that point I, I feel like the this is even probably too little but you have to start with like Hedl Kako and like a first that's that. I, I, I'm not even listening to any offer that doesn't include all of those three. And then you have to add stuff, I think. Right. And, you know, as much as anything, like the Sabres need forwards. They've got Owen mm. Power coming in. They've got Yuki Haru and Rasmus Dalin, who they, they anticipate being sort of the foundation. Okay. But they got to get some fucking forwards. And so, yeah, it's. Um, I'm surprised that deal hasn't happened because there's obvious interest. And, you know, maybe they're still working through that process. But. I question the decision-making in the Rangers and, you know, hanging over all of this is that after the Tom Wilson thing, the Rangers, at the direction of their owner, James Dolan, issued a letter complaining about it, mm-hmm. you know, saying Wilson should have been suspended and sent to space. All views with which, which, which I sympathize, you know, but at the same time... Who among us has not wished that Tom Wilson should be sent to space? <laughs> preferably without a suit. It's where he belongs. But notwithstanding yeah. that, it apparently was issued without the awareness of the coach and the GM. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so Jeff Gordon, who was generally considered to have done an okay job, I mean, I think that's, you could argue that either way, but he was he was um, turfed from the organization. Now we're looking at the Chris Drury era, and I'm wondering, all of this looks a lot like a team losing patience, getting desperate. Y- you know, one, trying to defend its own ego with all of this toughness stuff, but also making rash decisions that may stop this this rebuild from being everything that it could be. And, and again, they've already shortened their timeline with the Artemi Panarin thing. So they, they should be mm-hmm. in a position to be aggressive, but you can't be stupid now. Yeah. And I think and they've been they stupid. actually have yeah. a very tricky situation to deal with, which is that Mika Zibanejad's contract is expiring. Yeah, and Zibanejad Adam is Fox on after this year. Yes. He's going to you know, yeah. get $9 million for term, probably. Okay, yeah, I did, we didn't even mention Adam Fox. Like, Adam, they have these amazing young players, and then they, this is a team that I think, if managed well, and I think everyone was saying this is a team that could be, uh, you know, a contender for a long time if they just play things right. And I don't even think they had to be that smart about it. They just had to not be really dumb. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, they've been they've been really dumb. Yeah, like you you can afford a certain number of mistakes as a general manager, and every GM makes them. There is no perfect yeah, GM that, who's ever existed. No, yeah, and no no team yeah. has is mistake is is. You know, fault free, really, and with their cap hit, right. or with their cap sheet. But, but Butchnevich feels like an own goal. The Truba deal, which I understood at the time at least, is not working out, and they're you know they're stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And now they've got a bunch of big contracts coming. Um, the Barclay Goodrow thing, if that ages badly, there are going to be years where they don't have an extra couple million because of that. So. Yeah, and I, this is actually undercut one of the things where I think they're going to make the biggest upgrade this offseason is that they have a new coach, Gerard Gallant. Yeah, who is revered as uh, an, an exceptionally good coach. And so yes. hopefully that's going to, to help stabilize. This team, could, yeah, there's certainly at least a potential playoff team, but 
I think they could have been more. Yeah. I think if they if they didn't have the unforced errors, and they, I think the biggest thing that hurt them last year was I, I don't think their coach was very good. Mm. It's a team that has underperformed its talent in terms of how it does at driving five on five play, and I think they have they have great shooters. They've out, outscored their expected goals last year. They have goaltending that's been good, and now they're committed to that as well. And I think you can re- you you know you you never really know with goaltending, but it's a reasonable expectation to say okay, I think it'll still be you know at least decent. I think the the missing thing was how do we get this team to just control a bit more of the play at five on five? Having a coach who has excelled at that in his recent history is seems like a very good way to do so. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think my bottom line on them is one, you've made mistakes. Okay, two, stop screwing around and go get Jack Eichel. Like I, I <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry if this if the stumbling block here is like we don't want to include Capo Caco, I would not stumble on that block for very long, personally speaking. Mm-hmm. But okay, that's what they're doing. Um. The Ottawa Senators. Yeah. This will be quick. Oh, sorry. Before yep. we... before yep. we, I, I, I just wanted to mention with Zibanejad. Zibanejad's on a very good deal right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting to the point where... It's a bit like the Philip Forsberg situation. Very good player. Been on a very good deal. Um, his next deal, he's, he's going to want to most likely be profit maximizing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's questionable whether that next deal is going to be a great you know, benefit to the team that ends up signing it. At the same time, you get significantly worse if you don't have Mika Zibanejad on your team. Mm-hmm. And the Rangers are now a team that has, you know, it's not completely tied to the to Panarin's timeline because they do have young players like Lafreniere and Fox in particular, who are and Shesterkin, who are going to who are standouts and all very young for their positions. Um, but you want to make hay while Artemi Panarin is still the best winger in the league, so there's definitely a motivation behind keeping someone like Zibanejad, and it's just it's a question of. How good is that going to look? Yeah. For the record, if you get Eichel, Zibanejad's contract becomes more likely to happen somewhere else. But yeah, uh, yeah, because he's he's their one C right now, and he's been very good with with Panarin. Yeah, uh, and so certainly you'd like to to keep him, but maybe they won't be able to. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, the Sens will be quick. Yes, done very little. Signed Victor Mete one by one point two million. Signed Scott Sabrin one by seven fifty k. At least Austin Matthews knows who he is now. Um, they acquired Nick Holden in a 2022 third-round pick for Evgeny Dodonov. He went to Vegas, I believe. Uh, they lost Ryan Zingle and Derek Stepan as UFAs. They are going to still suck. Their fans are still going to be happy because they are young and promising. I, you, I was gonna say, I was about to say, you know, I, I still question whether this is going to be really a, a high-end team eventually if their young players are good enough for that. But I'm also thinking that maybe that's a bit unfair because I, I don't remember ever really looking at a team in advance and predicting, oh, that team's going to be great in three years. Mm-hmm. So maybe I think I'm just risk-averse when it comes to that in general, which is, you know, a me problem. Yeah, I think, look, there's a chance that one of these years, all of their their young players kind of bloom simultaneously and they surge up the Atlantic Division. But I don't think it's going to happen this year. And I'm not sure when I foresee it happening. It's fine at this point. You know, they've got an almost unlimited amount of cap space. They have a lot of picks next year, including all of their own yeah. and a bunch of other people's. It's it's all fine. Uh, it's all kind of on track. It's just a matter of, you know, this cake is still baking. So Yeah, I would say that Ottawa's position is enviable with a lot of teams in the sense that they, we talked about it with the Devils, they have a lot of room to go whatever direction they choose. The same is true with Ottawa. Now, the, the thing, my issue with Ottawa is actually with the organization and how I how good I think they'll be in the future. It's, it really has very little to do with the roster and has more to do with the people constructing it. Mm-hmm. They did hire right, Pierre I, I Maguire, don't... which 
we'll see how that goes, but... Yeah, I, I don't think Dorian is amazing. I don't think Maguire seems like the guy who they're trying to use to leverage Dorian into signing like another deal or maybe moving him out mm. is any better. I don't trust Melnick to... I wouldn't trust Melnick to run a hamburger stand. Oh, definitely not. Um, so... It's also, yeah, like... I, They've still got Brady Kachuk and Drake Batherson as RFAs waiting to be signed. They have enough cap mm-hmm. space to pay them whatever. Understandably, they're taking yeah. out of, you know, you want to set yourself up for future success. But I'm kind of like, gee, it's it's interesting that those haven't been resolved and we're approaching the start of September. Um, yeah, I, I didn't even write those down in my notes because it's just like, I, I assume they're going to just, it, it, there's nothing to say. There's just negotiations. Yeah. But yeah. But... I, I, in both cases, again, I think Ottawa's a team that, tends to go long on its good young players. And I think it makes sense for them mm-hmm. to. You you they do should. bridge deals when you are cap constrained and when you want to contend, when you want to really take advantage of the early years where they're cheap and you know you're going to pay for it on the back end because they're going to be a bit more expensive because they're older and closer to UFA. Mm-hmm. Um, who cares about that with Ottawa? You're not going to win it next, next year anyways. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, so so we'll see. I I think that they will be scrappy for a while. They were last year too. You know, they they fought. Which was good. Yeah. And no, and and they're they're in the sweet spot for fans where there's no expectations, and you can just look at like you know Tim Stutzel will have a couple two goal games, but like hey, look at that Tim Stutzel score, yeah. right? So, and that can, that's enough to sustain you for a year. Or two. I anticipate them finishing sixth in the Atlantic, ahead of Detroit and Buffalo, probably. Yeah. Okay. That seems fair. Uh, All right. Oh boy. The <laughs> yeah the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay, deep breath. Woo. Uh, acquired Cam Atkinson, four years, $5.875 million left for Jakub Voracek, three years, $8.25 million left. Um, kind of very interesting hockey trade that we don't usually get mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah, I, I think... I, I yeah. they, they won on the money side of things, the, the Flyers. Like they, got, they got someone cheaper and they only took on an additional year for it. Uh, Atkinson still has value. Uh, Voracek had a higher peak. Maybe he can restore some of that. I don't know how much better one is than the other right now. I see them as almost equivalent level players. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's off. Um, Sam Moran, one year, 750K. Who cares? Keith Yandel, one year, 900K. That'll, that, that can be useful. He can play a role. He can, you know, anchor a power play unit, play depth minutes at, yeah. uh, at even strength. 900K, no problem. Signed Martin Jones, one year for 2 million. Um, the note I have here is that imagine if you paid for insurance, but instead of insurance, like for car insurance, let's say, but instead of insuring you, they just trash your car more once it crashes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is a little bit um, unfair. As much as Martin Jones has sucked as an NHL starter, as a backup, he's actually probably fine. Uh, <laughs> I, I think mean, you're being generous he, to him. He's better than what they had before. He's better than like Brian Elliott, who I think was their backup. Yeah, before. well, I mean, Brian Elliott fell off a cliff. But with remarkable consistency, Martin Jones has put up an 896 save percentage the last three seasons. That's really bad. That is sub-backup level performance. And I know it's like, oh, it's, it's unadjusted save percentage. At a certain point, I don't care. You're not doing well if that's what your save percentage is. Yeah, so. that, fair, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I, I, I don't... It, it, it is better than what they had as a backup before. Mm. But it's a bit like falling from a 30-foot cliff instead of a 50-foot cliff. Yeah, and like... The, the body will be in better shape, but the brain isn't. Yeah. <laughs> the, and the clouding issue here is he's trying to provide insurance behind Carter Hart, who was, yes, we've who, talked about him before, came in, looked like the goalie of the future, fell absolutely apart last season and had a really rough year. And so now it's like, for a team that made a lot of aggressive moves that are supposed to help 
frankly, like win soon. I, I think this is a team on a short timeline. Um, they have a big blinking warning light on the dashboard for goaltending. Enor- enormous vary. I know. Th- I know. There's enormous variance for almost every team with goaltending. It's larger for this team than for almost any other team that also sees themselves as a contender. Like yeah. we, we we talk about Carolina. I mentioned Carolina a lot when uh, other teams, but like we talk about Carolina, it's like okay, they're a good team and their goaltending is a bit of, you know, it can be a question mark. It's there's there's non negligible downside risk that it goes bad more so than with other contending teams. Mm-hmm. I think Phillies is has even more downside risk than that, like considerably more than Carolina's, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, like. There is absolutely a scenario that is not all that hard to foresee where Philadelphia plays decently well in terms of skater performance and both of their goalies save fewer than nine out of every 10 shots and they miss the playoffs potentially wide. Um, It's actually, I know this is skipping down a line, but just they signed Carter Hart three years at 3.979. Uh, if, you know, if he recaptures his form that has the potential to be good based on, on last year, based on last year, yeah, I mean, his, in the NHL, his, so. his, yeah. yeah, his last year was, it's hard to overstate how bad he was last year. He was really, really awful in his other time before that. He looked like, you know, a, an average or slightly better than average goaltender. And obviously you can't ignore one or the other. You have to take it all together. Mm-hmm. And when you put that all together, he looks like a very, very young player, uh, a very, very young goaltender who has been mostly average to a little bit below average because just of how bad his previous year is but he's so young and that the fact that he's even in the nhl is like still a credit to him yeah right and he's still likely to get better um there's obviously there's just an enormous enormous range of outcomes with carter hart just absolutely enormous yeah um so you know you need to have really a scouting prior on him as opposed to just a data prior before you really become comfortable with any deal you sign to him. That's true of all goaltenders, but it's especially true of someone with his pedigree and with his recent NHL track record being so different than what he did previously. Mm-hmm. And so the, the basic question is, and this is getting outside of the realm where I'm at all competent to, to talk about it. It's just, you have to look at reasons for Carter Hart to have been as disproportionately bad last year compared to what he was before. And I like it's not that unbelievable to me that he was, you know, struggling emotionally or uh, he may have been d- dealing with injuries or what have you. But like it's easy to believe that there could have been some clouding issue that the Flyers believe they can resolve and then this makes sense. So I'm not going to condemn it outright. I'm just going to say obviously last year can't happen again. Or this is this is a rough deal. Um anyway, so we'll see. Uh, yep, pretty much. Um, oh, the, the the person we skipped over, earth-shattering news. They signed Adam Clendenning, one yeah, year, we, 750K. We, we can skip over him pretty easily, I feel like. Yes. Uh, yeah. Travis Sandheim, two years, 4.675. I don't have much of an opinion on Travis Sandheim, to be honest. Yeah, it, like, it seems like that's exactly the kind of deal you get when you're about a 3-4-ish defenseman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's... That, fine enough like he his his isolates look good mm-hmm. um yeah I'm, I'm fine with that uh who else did they sign they signed Derek Broussard kind of washed um they signed, extended Sean Couturier eight years 7.75 million dollars mm-hmm. um basically no choice here yeah. you know it's yeah it's Sean Couturier he he's you know probably your best player at this point uh very good right now probably won't be later who cares about that you are trying to win 
you know, at least in the near future, you cannot do that without Sean Couturier. So you, you pay him. You, you try and get it down to the lowest amount you can, but you realize you have to pay him. Mm-hmm. And that his importance to the team, his importance to the franchise means you are, you know, he's not accepting a four-year deal. Yeah. And this and the Ellis move both suggest like, okay, we're focused on the next couple of years. And I think that that's also, yes. you know, Claude Giroux was on the last year of his deal. That's another factor mm-hmm. that, that drives you in that direction. So, okay. Yes. In contrast, the Rasmus Ristolainen deal says we are focused on being a really bad hockey team. <laughs> We, I mean, we don't want to beat it to death at this point because we no, discussed it. Look, but like, so it's just, this let's is just stupid. mention the terms again. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Yeah, let's mention the terms again just so that you guys... We had to look at this, so you have to look at it too. Uh, trade, acquired Rasmus Tristelainen for a first, a second, and Robert Hag. Yeah. My notes say we covered it before. It's still awful. Yeah. Uh, and it is. Yeah, nothing much more to say about that. I just think they are fundamentally misevaluating Tristelainen. Maybe we're wrong about that, but people have been saying that for six years. So... Who knows? Um, another trade that we mentioned last week, because it involved uh, a team in the first half of the off, that they traded Shane Gostas Bear along with a second round pick to Arizona, just straight up cap dump. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot to say about that. This helped them facilitate a lot of the other moves. Yeah, and as we mentioned, Gostas Bear cleared waivers. So the fact that they had to pay a pick to unload him, not a huge surprise. I think that he's maybe a little undervalued in the market at this point in time, but you can see how they got to having to pay a second to get rid of him. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the Ryan Ellis deal, uh, you know, I think it's good on their end. They gave up on, on Nolan Patrick in the course of it. And I think Patrick needs a fresh start. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit um, down the lineup. Um, Ellis is really good right now, again. And I'm assuming that their top pairing is going to be Ivan Provorov and Ryan Ellis. I could see that being quite good. Mm. Um, you know... It's we we've ragged on the Risto deal, and I think quite rightly. I think that they've done enough well that it's quite possible that they look better next season if the goaltending yes. holds up. Huge if. Um, despite that, it's just a like it, that's a, a major unforced error. I don't get turning to Martin Jones as your insurance. Um, mm-hmm. And this team has struggled to rise out of the mushy middle, despite seeming to have a lot of talent. I've always thought that they yeah. underperformed the names on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a team that I thought would be closer to the league's top end than it has. Now, it didn't help that their goaltending just absolutely cratered last year. No team can survive mm-hmm. that. And they've had years where it's, you know, there's like, what, even years flyers, basically? Or, or like, every, every other year, they randomly look very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget if it's during even years or odd years. but Well, it wasn't last year. Yeah, I, so. I, it's, <laughs> this is a, this is a, a team... Yeah, so I guess by definition, it's <laughs> odd years. Then. Um, okay, so yeah, I think that um, they should be a decent team. They should contend for a playoff spot, but huge. Man, like that goaltending makes me wince. And uh, like I recognize there's so much that I don't know about it, and that's fair. It could be fine. But, but that and, and the Risto move cast a cloud over a team that is trying aggressively to salvage the, the the tail end of Claude Giroux's useful career. Yes, pretty much. So, um, so um, yeah, on the whole, uh, the way I summed it up was like a bunch of pretty smart moves for a team that's trying to contend now, then also the Risto acquisition. Yeah. So, I think that's apt. Um, mm-hmm. P- P- Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, this will be quick. Uh, pretty Yeah, pretty quiet. Acquired 
2023 seventh rounder and Philip Hollander for Jared McCann, who, uh, McCann, sorry, I don't know why I pronounced that like uh, the Porsche car. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're exhausted uh, he, these names, it's good. Yeah, he eventually went to, to Seattle, so, I mean, the Leafs paid essentially seventh rounder and Hollander for insurance to make sure they'd have a decent 3C option. Signed Evan Rodriguez, one year, one million. Signed Brock McGinn, four years, 2.75 million. Signed Dominic Simone, one year, 750K. Signed Danton Heinen, one year, 1.1 million. Signed Zach Aston Reese, one year, 1.725 million. A lot of, you know, the similar, you know, contracts there. These are all just kind of depth players. McGinn is a bit more than that. He's more of, you know, a middle six guy. Yeah, this is, we have Um, our core. We know who they are. That's it. We are going to fill out around them or extend guys who fill out around them. And that's it. Pretty much. They lost Brandon Hanum to Seattle. Probably a good thing that they lost that contract because that contract was a bit long-term. It's a bit like the Barkley Goodrow mm-hmm. contract. It's just c- kind of good good player, useful player, just a bit too long-term. Yeah. Um, but it makes them a worse team next year. Probably, yeah. Um, Tan- yeah, Tanev's, you know, a, a, a decent depth player. So I, 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 maybe this is what uh, New York's plan is with, with Goodrow. Yeah. <laughs> it's to, you know, at, at some point, just like, Get a few good years out of it, then maybe dump him later. I don't know. Just wait for the thirty third um, expansion franchise for the like the the Albuquerque. Exactly, thirty three is such a nice number. Albatrosses or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they lost Cody Cece to Edmonton, which I mentioned just to remind us that Cody Cece is on Edmonton. Uh, yeah, status quo kind of offseason. You know, for all the bluster, Brian Burke didn't do a whole lot, but I can't say I blame him. You have Crosby, you have Malkin, you have Latang, you have Gensel. You just do stuff around those guys. Yeah. The goaltending is going to be interesting because, uh, I mean, Tristan Jari just absolutely collapsed in the playoffs and was largely responsible for the their loss to the Islanders. They still have him on the roster. <laughs> He's still their starter, presumably, because it's him and Casey DeSmith. Yeah, I mean, yeah, So I don't know. Who knows what's happening I there. kind of anticipated that they were going to make an upgrade there, and they didn't do it, so I guess they've decided, okay, we'll, we'll endure it. Um Maybe the, the worrying thing, if you're Pittsburgh, is that Evgeny Malkin had a bit of a down year. Yeah, after having basically like a heart trophy level year the year prior. Yeah, and so, look, Evgeny Malkin is uh, a no doubt about it, first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously. He's a fantastic player. He still wasn't bad. But no. this team is... They need him to be a, a top 10 player in the world. Like this, yeah, this team is built on, we have two centers that are going to fucking annihilate pretty much anybody you put out against them. And for like 15 years, that has been the case. As that is increasingly less true, you know, this team is increasingly not that great. They weren't that great last year. They were like, they were okay. Because Malkin had a, yeah. In part because Malkin had a mediocre Mm -hmm. year. And so if that's the beginning of the decline, and again, he's in the last year of his contract and he's 35, this is the range where that starts to happen. You, you know, then this team isn't going to do a whole lot. If if he yeah. bounces back and Crosby's good, like the thing is, <laughs> this is the thing is, you know, Sidney Crosby is still unbelievable, and so him and a, a resurgent Malkin, even by themselves, is enough to get them some way. It's just, I don't know how much longer they can count on staving off decline, and then when it comes, this team is gonna, you know. They're going to get old back. It's going to suck for yeah, a bit. They're going to be bad. Yeah. Um, and then the, the league Basically, will the lottery for them again. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing with Malkin, like he had a bad year, but remember, it's also 33 games. Yeah. Right? So 
because he, I think uh, he, he was injured, as he, as he often is, right? That's one of the other things. Mm. As he's gotten older, he, he's never been, you know, an Iron Man. No. Um, but as he gets older, you know, these in- injuries can be more and more impactful. Uh, as you said, Evgeny Malkin, I, you know, he's a, a no doubt about it. First ballot Hall of Famer. He is, I think, underrated because of the time he spent in Crosby's shadow. There, there's a decent argument that he, he, he was the second best player of, Cro- of the generation he was in. That, you know, people would normally give that to Ovi, and I think Ovi has absolutely a, you know, a very good claim to it. He's the best goal scorer ever, possibly. Um, Malkin, if, if, he's not, if he's not better than Ovi, he is not much worse. That's how good Evgeny Malkin was. Peak Malkin was just a runaway freight train. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't yeah. do anything about him. He's just huge and insanely talented, and... And, then, and, and plays angry, yeah. plays mean. Yeah, like, just like a, a vicious, sneaky, dirty player. You know, I, I did a, a, a tweet once where I just asked who is the sneaky, dirtiest player in the league, and everyone said Malkin, like, right away. Because he doesn't quite have the rep, probably because of how talented he is, but, like, he's just a nasty SOB on the ice, and it's mm. effective. But, yeah. yeah. But, you know, if, if that's trending downward, then Pittsburgh has some questions, and they have questions about what does his next contract look like. Do you, do you pay him yes. just based on everything he's meant to you, which is what Washington has done with Ovi? Or... Do you say maybe this is the, the sign that it's time to move on? And then, I mean, the same is true with, with Chris Letang. Yeah. Very, very good career. Didn't have an amazing year last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, like, by his, by his play-driving numbers. So, you know, what, what happens with him? He, he's the anchor on, on that back end. Yeah, and his injury history has been terrible. So, like, yes. it would not surprise me if in a year we're like, oh, Chris Letang is retired now. Maybe it won't happen, but I'm just saying, when that ends, I could see well, it yeah, he, like, he's, he's still he's still useful. Like his yeah. his goals above replacement last year was actually very good, um, it, but it was I think quite percentages driven. Right, right, and I don't know to what extent we will actually want to credit the Tang for that, as opposed to you know luck and the people who he plays with a lot. Yeah, like I this is still a team that has potential, but you can sort of see the sun going down now. And hmm. there are going to be some decisions that have to be made that aren't going to be a ton of fun. I don't... The The combination of Burke and Ron Hextall is interesting because Hextall is famously very... Like, he was very patient in draft and developing, whereas Burke was not that. Uh, and so you wonder if... Burke loves his big traits. But yeah. you know what? I think with... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, with, this isn't a roster that can facilitate many big trades because like the Leafs, they don't have that many mid-tier contracts. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this in the notes for Washington too, but if Pittsburgh gets to the point where they start dealing guys and getting first-round picks back, I feel like that'll be a sign that they've reoriented. So hmm. keep an eye out for that. But for now, they're going to keep running. Yes. Um, okay, let's go to the Sharks. We're actually on pace to be even slower than last time, which is impressive. We are wonderful people, are we not? Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, like, the jury's like, this isn't going to help. Like, this isn't going to be enough to save them. I mean, they can hope for better goaltending than they had. And so, yeah. Well, they they bought out Martin Jones, Mm -hmm. um, which impacts their cap hit until 2026, 2027, which only makes it the 12th longest contract on their books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They basically have to pay, like, between $1.5 and $2.5 million a year for, like, the next six years or the next five years, something like that. Um, they, they've improved because their goaltending is now probably going to be a little bit better because they have James Reimer and Aiden Hill, who, again, we discovered last week was a person. 
or last podcast. Every day is but you know, it's better than yeah, it's better than Martin Jones and whoever they had previously. The rest of the roster is just still a tire fire because it's a bunch of long term contracts for a lot of old guys who are no longer good, and that's the Sharks right, right now. They, 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 there is not much upside in the short term for the Sharks. I think they they wait it out, they collect draft picks, they trade off what they can, and they limp through the next few years. Yeah, it's it's. I think that's all you can do. You you had you had a very good run. There's no shame in the run you had. Now you know it's the life cycle. Right. Um, the most I'll say is that the Sharks were not terrible last year outside of goaltending. I'm not saying they were good. I'm saying that <laughs> they were like a passable team. And so in the Pacific, which, and I really got to emphasize this, sucks but It's like, could this team sneak in as a bubble team if James Reimer plays like he sometimes has in his career? I guess. Um, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're getting to the, the realm of a bunch of teams that are in the Pacific. So we're going to be saying this a lot yeah, in the next, but, over the next 18. But like, if you're in the Pacific and I'm not picking you to contend for a playoff spot, probably that means you suck. And one of their best players last year on the ice was Evander Kane. And he yeah. has been consumed by issues. And apparently there is a lot of tension in the locker room about um, people having issues with Kane. And so there was some rumor that they might try and trade him. I don't. At that point, it's, at that point, it's completely toxic. Yeah, like you like, can't. You know, he even though at his cap hit, he might be worth that for the pre- in the present. I like. I'm sure there are a lot of teams who are just looking at that and thinking, I don't know if I want to be part of that. And yeah, then, we want yeah. no. We want no part of but, it. But you know, we said we've been saying for like three years. Like first we said when the end comes in San Jose, it'll be ugly, and then we were like, ah, God, no. They're they're in hell, and now it's just this this team is in cap hell in the truest sense. More yeah, yes, more than any other team this was, in the league. This is the worst cap situation imaginable. It's terrible. This was a completely foreseeable set of events. Like I I, I mean I, I'm pretty sure we discussed this in every preview pod or every around the league pod where we said, yep, the, the sharks are going to be bad the next little bit. Yeah, and I I don't think we deserve any credit for that because if you have high. eyes yeah. and can read cap friendly, you can probably have told me that the sharks are going to be bad. Yeah, and so yeah, they're gonna have like forty million against the cap for the next four years for players who are brutally in decline. So mm-hmm. okay, now the final eight teams. Jesus Christ. Okay, the Seattle yes. Kraken. They're new. We're just out of the delivery room. It's beautiful. The life has begun, and people are already disappointed. <laughs> I think a lot of people expected Seattle to get more picks because that's what vegas did and it's a combination i think of teams learning from the mistakes that vegas made that were made around vegas sorry vegas did quite well um and also seattle maybe overplayed their hand a little bit they might have demanded too much on the trade market because they didn't end up racking up the draft assets that we saw vegas do and for the record it's not that vegas drafted like a ton of guys who have gone on to help them but they use them in trades. Like, look at the Mark Stone trade. You know, getting those assets facilitates things for you in the future. So, that's something to keep in mind when you look at this roster, which I actually right. don't think is much worse than the one that Vegas walked out of the expansion draft with. Right. Everyone and everyone thought Vegas was going to be bad that year. Yeah. And like when Vegas was like, I remember, I remember this very vividly, where Vegas was like, they they looked good at the start of the mm-hmm. year, and they played the Leafs really tough in the, their first visit to the ACC. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember thinking, like, man, this makes me feel much worse about the Leafs because I, I still don't think this Vegas team is very good. And then, you know, I turned out to be hilariously wrong on that. Yeah, I, like, 100% didn't see that coming. And that now that said, Vegas did have an additional advantage, which was that Dale Talon was still managing a team at the time. And I know we yes, bagged on him a lot them. for that, but it's like yeah. you gave them two-thirds of a tenable top line. You just, like, that's just... And, and, and that part we... We and a lot of other people did say at yeah, the like, time. It looked like, really I don't stupid. know why yeah. Smith and I don't know why Smith and Mar- Smith and Marshall managed to get themselves on the team. That's going to help them, but we still don't think the rest of the team is that good. Yeah, and so that's and how it worked. It out. was just like a complete outlier of development and coaching, and I mean everything just clicked for them. They became really good immediately. It was it was shocking. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of the craziest events in in NHL history, frankly, for an expansion team to be mm-hmm. a finalist the first year um, on merit, not because of a divisional yeah. thing like in 1968, but. Well, yeah, and, and I, I still don't know what the lesson is to be learned from it, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I wonder, like, it, 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 there's, I don't know. If anyone told me that William Carlson was going to score 40 goals, I would have said they're on crack. Yeah, the, and no one saw that coming. I don't think William Carlson saw that coming. I don't think William Carlson's mom saw that coming. That was not something that was in the realm of possibility. Um, and, you know, sometimes crazy shit happens. I... If there's a lesson to be taken away, I think it's probably that by having somewhat above average guys at every spot on the roster, you can wind up pretty good. And that lesson might be applicable to Seattle. So, yes. Well, and also yeah. they had good goaltending. They did. Right? They had flurry. Which is a huge factor. So talking about the Kraken, I won't go through every single pick or this podcast will be four hours instead of however long it's going to be already. It's looking like three right Jesus now. Jesus Christ. So, I'm just going to look at, I'm going to discuss, we're going to discuss, their prominent picks. So, starting with Jordan Everly, he's got three years at five and a half million. They claimed him from the Islanders. He's probably the top offensive talent on this team. Um, his offensive production has been just okay of late. He's 31. He always, Everly always looks to me like a guy who should score more than he does. And, like, he's good. He scores a lot. But... He just has hands that are ridiculous to me. And I've always thought that. Mm. Um, so now he's the guy, I think, as a scoring winger. Uh, they got Jaden Schwartz, who's quick and crafty. Three years. Jaden Schwartz is very good, by the yes, way. Yes, he is. So three years at 5.5 for him. I think that's very nice. They got him in free agency. He was previously yeah. with the Blues. As a side note, I think based on how they're descri- how he was described, when I when Rodion Amira was drafted I, said, drafted, I thought, okay, you know what? As a best-case scenario, someone like Jaden Schwartz. And that's like an elite upper-end scenario, but... They have a lot of the same ideas. So if, if, if at least as a Leafs fan, you might be familiar with what people say about Amirov, where he's very good in the neutral zone, um, pretty diligent, doesn't have elite high-end skill, but has a decent amount. That, you know, um, good skater, pretty agile. That describes Jaden Schwartz pretty well, but obviously at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yanni Gord claimed from Tampa Bay, made famous as a really tough, dogged checking center um, for the Lightning, who also has some offensive ability. Um but now he's probably their first-line center. And that's a lot to ask yeah. of him offensively. It is. Gort's a good player, but might be a little underqualified for that role. Yeah, uh, and they signed uh, Arvin Favorite, Alexander Wenberg, three years at 4.5 in free agency. He's a solid two-way center. He broke out of a shooting slump like Gangbusters last year by swinging all the way around to being really hot in shooting, so he's probably not going to repeat that. I could see him yeah, being a decent 2-3-C. I... Yeah, it is good to see that when, like, there was some concern that, like, you know, 
are his hands just like completely fucked mm. up? Like, can he not shoot now? Because his shooting was so bad for so yeah. long, and it see, like that's so, the fact that he had a hot shooting year is some evidence of that. It's not the case, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it means that it's at least somewhat reasonable that he can revert to league average if he gets if he's a league average shooter. He's a useful player, right? And so that should be fortuitous for them. You know, they needed centers, and then here's a grab bag of some guys. Junus Donskoy, Jared McCann, Brandon Tanev, Kelly Yarncroke, Marcus Johansson. We've mentioned a lot of these on other teams from whence they came. One way or another, this team should be able to put together a pretty solid third line. Maybe centered by McCann yeah. and surrounded by these guys. Like they they should have These good are all useful depth. depth players. Yeah. These are all useful depth players. They, they they should have almost zero time devoted to bad NHL forwards. Yes. And so if you're looking for lessons from Vegas it's possible one of the lessons is that's more useful than people think. We generally associate hockey with being a strong link game where we say it's driven by the stars. But if you think maybe you can get farther driving with depth, and Vegas might be an example with that, the Islanders might be another, um, you can see Seattle being better than their name recognition value. Um, The defense looks pretty decent. Um, Mark Giordano, he's 37. He has one year left at 6.75. He was once close to the best defenseman in the NHL, maybe the best defenseman. He won a Norris. And he matured quite late, but he's down from his peak now, and he's in the age range where the collapse could come at any time. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying it could happen. So he's kind of their, their stud 1D still right now. Jamie Alexiak, five years at $4.6 million, came from Dallas. Uh, he looked good last year in Dallas as a defensive defenseman. He's huge, and his sister is cool. He's uh, an Olympic swimmer, so I guess that's good. Mm-hmm. Adam Lar- Larson, forever associated with Taylor Hall, but he's a good defensive defender, and they claimed him from Edmonton and then signed him at four years at $4 million. And Yeah, he struggled with health he issues. He has, and that's the big condition. If he's healthy for most of that contract, it's probably good. He can be a good, solid second-pair uh, defenseman and Vince Dunn two years at four million claim from St. Louis he always reminds me of Travis Dermott because he seems to have great stats that suggest he could play second pair but he doesn't always do it so we'll see if he gets the chance now it, that seems like a bit of a rich deal for Vince Dunn does it not not that they really care so much about the cap space no it, it does it feels to me like kind of a statsy bet that this guy is going to do yeah. well as a second pairing guy and then it's fine but right but, th- but then the up like What's the upside of this deal? It's two years, right? So I, if, if he makes good on his bet, you're re-upping him in a year anyways. Yeah, I mean, and he ends RFA, but still. Um, so, I, I don't know. It, it, just, it just surprised me because I remember hearing, oh, the market for Vince Dunn isn't, isn't really that significant because St. Louis has been trying, has been exploring trades for him for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So it's like, okay, well, if the market isn't that significant, are, are people willing to pay him a second, essentially a... Uh, a a salary that's commensurate with a, what you what you would want to pay a second a bona fide second pairing defenseman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I guess we'll see if he's worth it. I don't know. That w- that was an interesting yeah. deal. Um, and they got Carson Soucy from Minnesota, Hayden Fleury, a bunch of guys. They had a lot of defensemen. I think one way or another they should be able to put out a pretty respectable defense group. It's going to be painful mm-hmm. if Giordano gets old fast. Um, but they should have some guys. Uh. Yeah. They signed Philip Grubauer, uh, six years at 5.9 million. So that's like a big commitment for them. Um, 
really stands out on their cap sheet. Uh, yeah, he's currently their highest paid player in cap hit. Mm. So, yeah, uh, he's been a good goalie in Colorado. They're hoping he can stabilize the situation. And then they claimed Chris Dreiger from Florida and extended him three years at 3.5. So they're they're really counting on good goaltending. For the, they should have a, a decent 1A, 1B situation between Grubauer and Dreiger. And I think that this adds up to a team that should be hard to score on, should be deep at every position, and is playing in the Pacific. I don't know that they have a real first line. And I would yeah. have said that about Vegas. Well, so mm-hmm. I remember thinking after the expansion draft, like, oh, maybe, maybe Seattle did overpay their hand because they didn't, as you said, they didn't generate much in the way of like draft pick trades to uh, you know avoid taking one guy. And in, in some cases, teams dealt with one another as opposed to dealing with with Seattle, mm-hmm. right? Like the Leafs paid essentially a seventh and fifth of Hollander to insure themselves, and presumably Seattle was charging more than yeah. that. Yeah, or, to or say, look at Ryan Graves to New Jersey, who we talked about earlier. Exactly. And so we thought, or at least I thought, maybe that's a missed opportunity. But like looking at the roster now, it, as you said, it's not a bad roster. So by playing it straight up, they have assembled a team that is just full of guys who are pretty decent. Mm-hmm. There, there aren't bad players on here. There are no bad contracts, no awful contracts, at least no long-term terrible deals. The, the worst one is probably Brandon Tanev. That's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Right, they're they're so light on cap hits, anyways. It doesn't make a huge difference. Right, and, and this always should have been the advantage in a capped NHL. Right, is that when you start, you have a clean slate. You shouldn't acquire other people's mistakes. And yeah, T- Tanev is is the worst of them, but even then, it's not that big a deal. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the the thing is, if they want to become a high end team, you you feel like they'll have to make some trades for high-end guys, which is exactly what Vegas has done, right? Like, Vegas didn't get those high-end guys at the start, but then, since then, they've just religiously gone after them, time after time after time after time after time. Yeah, and just like... Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo, uh, Robin Lett. Max Pacioretty. Max Pacioretty. Yeah. Right? Like, consistently, they go after these high-end players. It does seem to me like this is a, a more conservative approach that Seattle has taken. They haven't done anything that ties their hands in the future. Whereas Vegas, once, especially well, you know, once Vegas realized how good they were, they seemed to throw future to the wind and said, we're going to go all in every year. And I do sort of respect that. With Seattle, they're positioning themselves to say, we can contend for a playoff spot. I think they certainly can do that in the Pacific. And you can see them being pretty good to even very good defensively. It's also worth noting, and I just did a little back at the envelope thing, but if you add up all of the goals of the players currently on the Seattle roster, last season they would have had 173 of them, which would have put them about 10th in the league. You know, you can tack on a couple of shootout winners there because the league keeps stats stupidly. But if this team is like 10th-ish offensively, and I'm not saying that they necessarily will be, but just being average and then good defensively, that's probably enough to make the playoffs again in the Pacific. So I think that there's disappointment for sure, because they didn't get the name value guys. People thought about people, people like Vladimir Tarasenko, but it's possible that they have a better team than they would otherwise have had. I don't think that they're going to have a season like Vegas did. So, yeah, but I mean, that's always, yeah, like, I mean, that was an insane thing to have happen. Yeah. But I don't think Vegas thought they were going to have the team. No, they, the they didn't. They did. And like, 
there have been like leaks from them that indicated as much. They mm-hmm. they expected to contend in three years, and we were like, oh, that's it's aggressive, and <laughs> we're like, screw that. Um, yeah, it does remind me potentially of. There was a at you know Buffalo's last peak as a hockey team, which is ages ago now, obviously. But they had about eight or nine guys who were legitimate twenty goal threats, and yeah. Seattle. Those Sabres teams were scary. Yeah, it just so much depth. Yeah, like and they just kept coming at you. And the best case scenario for Seattle is a lot of guys like that. So, yeah, I it's an interesting start. I'll be curious to see. I do think they should have gotten more picks out of the expansion draft process, but they did what they could, um, I, I guess. And uh, yeah, the, yeah. the other thing is, you know, to their defense, it's teams are now more experienced in, in dealing with the expansion of draft. Course. So they, so teams were now really, a lot of teams realized, uh, I think before uh, with Vegas, they said, okay, we have to deal with Vegas directly. Now they realize, oh, we don't have to do that. We can do trades amongst one another more so to, you know, avoid this expansion burden. Mm-hmm. And, and that that clearly seems to be what took place. So, interesting start to the league. By no means all bad, even if it might be a little underwhelming given how high the bar was set by Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, St. Louis. St. Louis. Turns out you miss Alex Petrangelo when he leaves. Um, mm-hmm. They signed Brandon Saad, five years at 4.5. Still good. Still mobile. Still yeah. good, yeah. One, one of the... Um the the losses that Colorado is going to experience and have to replace with one of their 30,000 great prospects. <laughs> and yeah, and they are the other end of that Buchnevich deal that we discussed in great detail. We probably don't need to belabor it because we've said so thoroughly, New York lost it. St. Louis won it, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they extended Jordan Cairo uh, two years at 2.8. He's a gifted playmaker and he's 23. I think that's nice. Extended Zach Sanford, who cares? Uh, notable departures. Jaden Schwartz, we just talked about him going to Seattle, and Vince Dunn to Seattle. Vince Dunn was the expansion pick. Jaden Schwartz just signed in free agency. And Mike Hoffman went UFA to Montreal. Um, maybe the biggest surprise is who's not there. Vladimir Tarasenko is still on the team, despite requesting a trade. He's had two injury plague mm-hmm. years, and he may not have a ton of trade value at this point, because he makes $7.5 million the next two seasons. He was once... Close to the deadliest player in the NHL. Not the most, but like his wrist shot was just an absolute bullet. I I, I loved Tarasenko mm-hmm. as a as a player. In his in his peak, he was, you know, in that top ten player range. He was around mm-hmm. that. And he yeah. was very, very, very good. I yeah. And I, I kind of expected St. Louis would find a taker for him just because people remembered what a fierce player he was but that you know it's a big ticket right. and in the flat cap it, it is i guess it was too much I, I, it would make sense in some sense for seattle to take him because they you know the it's it's short term mm-hmm. it's short-term money uh and they have they have the space and depending on how desperate st louis was to get rid of him like maybe you either don't pay an asset or even get one yeah which would have been interesting and, and so i wonder how aggressively but i guess it didn't work st. out that louis way. was yeah. pursuing it or, you know, maybe Tarasenko has to rehab his value a bit by scoring a few goals in the first half of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this team very much peaked at the right time. You know, yep. and I don't mean that they were a fluke. I mean just that they were good for a relatively short period that coincided with them winning a cup. When they won it, they were exactly as good as they needed to be to win it. They were an impressive team. 
but it fell apart pretty quickly after that. They're not really good. Yeah, they were opportunistic, right? Like, yeah, yeah, they're they're very very opportunistic in in that in that sense. Mm -hmm. They 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 were like decent for a decent amount of time, and then they elevated themselves, especially with Ryan O'Reilly. And yeah, then they turn that into a cup win. That's that. Hey, if you if you good work if you can win. Right, like they're and their fans should be very, very happy about that. It's it's worked out brilliantly for them. They're no longer very yeah. Good. Like it, you know, in bagging on them, we're saying, hey, you've done it. It's it's all good. It's over. But now, just looking to the future, they have a bunch of contract commitments. One of them was Braden Shen, who has declined precipitously since his peak the year of the Cup run, and then they have Tory Krug and Justin Falk, who were supposed to sort of replace Alex Petrangelo by committee. Hasn't really worked out that well. All three of those players have a $6.5 million cap hit, and all of them have enormous term left. And so, it's, you know, I think that their forwards are possibly better this year. You know, it, it sucks to lose Jaden Schwartz, and Hoffman has some specialty value, but I, I really like the Saad and Bushnevich additions. But even just getting a little better, you know, last season... This team was not good, and they made the playoffs because their division was shallow. Like, to make the playoffs in the division they were in, they had to outperform Arizona, Los Angeles, Anaheim, San Jose. All of those teams suck. So, in a closed system, you know, that might have made them look more competitive than they were, but they got in, and they got annihilated by the Avs in four games. Well, and their shooting numbers weren't even very good. Or sorry, their their shot number like they they had to outshoot their expected goals by a lot and ended up being a break even team by a goal differential. Yeah. So you know, even if they're a little better this year and there's a bit of a bounce back, you know, maybe they scrap for a spot. But this team is not much more than average, and I'm not guaranteeing that they're average. Yeah, I do want to amend one thing we said. You said they're opportunistic in the sense that like they were good for a short amount of time and then they won a cup with it. I would say that like I, I we should rephrase that because they've been good for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, they won at the very tail end of the window at which they were good. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, and I just mean they they looked like a genuine top-tier contender for that season to me, and they haven't since. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but they, they, were, they were also like a top-end contender in like the five years before that. Like they, they had like years of 100 points, years of 99 points, things like that. Like they were a good team mm-hmm. until then. They were, they were up and down. They were like a team that was... Uh, to make a comparison that some our listeners will remember, like the, the 2000s era Leafs. Mm. Clearly a good team, almost always made the second round, sometimes made it a bit further, yeah. but never never won. And then just before the bottom fell out, or, or but just before everything really fell off, they won in the, kind of the last gasp of their window. Mm-hmm. And yeah, obviously with ROR. And also, you know, they got good goaltending, which had been yes. know, bedeviling them yeah. for a long time. So yeah, and anyway. Yeah, like, especially like in the important parts and then obviously the coaching changes yeah i like i think this is gonna peter out over the next couple of years and then they're gonna have to make some tough decisions but whatever Mm -hmm. flags fly forever flags fly forever and yeah and they won and they deserve they deserve to win like they were this isn't a case of like a a bad team locking into a good year and then winning like they again they were a good team for a long time and it's like it's like a mini san jose except they were rewarded yeah poor san jose like it that sucks man um yeah Speaking of being rewarded, though, Tampa Bay, they finally yep. had to acknowledge that there is a salary cap. And so this is mostly a story about people leaving. Mm-hmm. 
They're still really good, though. Uh, they traded Tyler Johnson and a second to Chicago for Brent Seabrook. So Tyler Johnson cleared waivers. It's worth remembering during the season. You know, the Lightning needed cap relief, and Seabrook offers it in a sense because they can LTIR him, whereas Johnson is still playing. It kind of sucks mm -hmm. to have to do this because I think Johnson is still a useful player, but, you know, they were like 20 million over the cap, so that's sort of what happens. Yep. Uh, they extended Braden Point, eight years at 9.5. He's a top 10 center in the world, and he's 25 years old, so hey, go for it. Yep, he's very, very, very good. Yeah. And that's the end of that. Yeah, I mean, the only knock you can put on Braden Point is that he's not on a level with McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon. And even then, mm -hmm. how far behind is he? Not much. Uh, Corey Perry, two years at one million, aging, scoring rat. Uh, he did look good in the playoffs. Uh, Pierre-Edouard Belmoir, again, two years at one million, gritty depth guy. Zach Bogosian, fondly remembered. He's a nice and reliable sixth defender. They gave him three years at $850,000. So if he ages out of that, it's variable. Yep. And uh, No harm done. Yeah. And they signed Brian Elliott, which I'm a bit like, hmm. Okay. One year at 900 k He was a disaster last year in Philadelphia, and he's old. But maybe they have reason to believe that he'll be better. If not, it's like, you do still play your backup even when you have Andre Vasilevsky. Like, that's 15, 20 games. Mm -hmm. Um, and God help you if he gets hurt. So I, I think that that's like kind of being neglected as a potential pain point, but whatever. And they traded Mitchell Stevens to Detroit for a sixth. Who cares? The most Tampa outcome is Vasilevsky gets hurt. They end up sucking. They get the first overall pick and they get, um, what's his name? Connor Bedard. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Uh, okay. So notable departures. Uh, Tyler Johnson and Mitchell Stevens mentioned above. Yanni Gord went to Seattle. We talked about him. Barclay Goodrow went to New York. We talked about him. Blake Coleman to Calgary. You see, these ones should go faster because we already know where everyone went. Uh, yeah. David Savard went to Montreal. Cedric Paquette also to Montreal. And Luke Shen went to Vancouver. Um, I will spare you the dollar amounts because they were previously discussed. The bottom line is they lost an entire good second line and several decent... Comp Which was their third line, by yeah, the way. Yeah, because they were Tampa. <laughs> And several decent <laughs> complementary parts, and they're still really good. I still think yep. this is the best team in at least the Eastern Conference. It's hard to pick against them. I mean, yes, they did lose a lot of important players, but they, you know, the top end is st is what makes this team special. Mm -hmm. As much press as Gord, Coleman, Goodrow got, deservedly so. They were an important part of why this team won. The reason... The biggest reason are, is Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, beyond that, you have Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman and um, Andre Vasilevsky and Ryan McDonough and Mikhail Sergachev, by the way, who is still 23. Yeah, like it, just an embarrassment of riches. I will say this. Yeah. The incredible thing about Tampa the last couple of years has been that they were so good and so deep that they could afford to, you know, they, they won the cup with Steven Stamkos playing five minutes and they then yes. they won the cup after a year where Nikita Kucherov did not play in the regular season. And it is an... Inc Which has led to a lot of whining of like, oh, you know, so-and-so team, the, the Leafs should just hold Austin Matthews up. Man, the Leafs aren't making the playoffs with Austin Matthews. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. They, like, that, that's the impressive thing. They had... I, sa I said Artemi Panarin's the best winger in the world. Um, I mean, the other contender is Nikita Kucherov. And the only reason Panarin's first is because he actually played a regular season. Yeah, uh, like... Right, like Nikita Kucherov is... 
one of the best players in the world. They just straight up were like, eh. Well, we, we can massage this a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. so that was one of the most incredible power moves that a team has ever that's done. All, that's honestly such a big deal. <laughs> yeah. That's king shit, man. Like, <laughs> you got to respect it. It's like... Well, and, and the other thing is, like, Kucherov clearly had an he injury. Did. He, he had did. surgery. He, people don't do that yeah. for fun. It's I, just... I can accept that they massaged the timelines, but, like, yeah. you know, it was legit. Yeah, and so there was there was a peak of two years where Tampa Bay was the best team in the world without a heart-caliber player, or close to it. I guess Stamkos maybe is not quite there anymore, but, like, he's still really good <laughs> when he's healthy. That's yeah. over, I think. Like, that's the big takeaway yeah. is now Tampa Bay has to care about how healthy they are. And again, they're going to be leaning hard on Vasilevsky, I think. Yes. Yeah, because, yeah, with Elliot. I mean, the other thing is, if Elliot sucks, they can... There's always goalies on the waiver wire. You can always pay the, the, the standard third-round pick for a rental goalie. Is that what it is? Yeah, remarkably consistently, yes. It's a third-round pick. So, yeah. So... Th- there's still potential there. And, you know, it's... They're now at the point where there is downside risk again. There is potential for things to go wrong with health. But... This is still, at the top end, an unbelievable team. You know, Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Palat, Chirelli, Kalorn. That's a top six that very few teams can claim to equal. Um, mm-hmm. And then on defense, you're building around Hedman, McDonough, Sergeyev, Chernak. Unbelievable. In net, you have Vasilevsky. So again, at the key positions... Still stacked. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is still probably the best team in the league and if they're not i think they're second only to colorado in roster strength and you know colorado has struggled in the playoffs the last couple years or you know has had question marks around its goaltending um tampa bay has done it they've they have nothing left to prove to anybody and now it's just a question of what does this dynasty end up looking like they could win again no problem and tampa's at the point where and this is even true last year where we said we don't care that much about what they're doing in the regular season. Yeah. Um, right? Like yeah. They're, especially because we knew they didn't have Kucherov. They're adding a heart-caliber player mm-hmm. to this team that looked like a very good team. This team that looked on par with two other strong teams, Carolina and Florida, in the regular season, added a heart winner. And, they, and, they, and that's, that was our prevailing thought about them in the regular season last year. Now, obviously, that's mitigated this year through the losses that you mentioned, but it's the same idea. Like, we, at this point, we say, th- this team has earned the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. If, if they look only okay in the regular season, we'll say, it's Tampa. You cannot count them out. Yeah, exactly. And the only... Yep. Sorry to interrupt, but the only real concern I have with them is Victor Hedman didn't have a great year last year. Is this the start of the decline, or was it a one-off? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is 30, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still... I'm picking them to win the Atlantic. So, yep. Yep. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are garbage. I hate them. Mm-hmm. They make me upset. We normally don't cover the Leafs in these surveys. However, they did add a couple of people after the last time we talked about them. And I think it's useful to contextualize them a little bit uh, in the NHL at large. You know, so we've been talking about everybody at length. Here is how the Leafs would be talked about by us if they were just another team. So, uh, quickly, Peter Mora- What a joke franchise. Yeah. This is that, that, if I was not a fan of the Leafs, I would, I would, I would, I would start this by cackling maniacally. Can, yeah, like, can you imagine, like, after all this shit? Like, I do, I honestly, as, as like someone who clowns around online about hockey, 
You don't know how good you have it if you don't cheer for the Leafs, man. Because you can dunk on them no problem. They are a four-foot net. Just waiting. Mm. Okay. They signed Peter Morazic. We talked about it. Michael Bunting and David Camp. We also talked about. So, whatever. Andre Cash. Kasha, excuse me. Kasha. One year at $1.25 million. So, when he was healthy, he was a good two-way forward with Anaheim. He was injured a lot in Boston. Played very little last year. If he can stay healthy, the if has little sparkling lights around it and is shining, uh, he could be a great pickup at that price. And he expires RFA with arbitration rights, but he's only 25. So you can certainly see the upside on that deal, potentially. Um, any thoughts about Kasha? Basically what you said. Okay. And Nick Ritchie, uh, big power forward, goes to the slot, bashes in goals, takes too many penalties. Boston fans just hate the guy. I, I, I think, I, so maybe I will be proven wrong on this. They've seen him more than I have. He seems like a guy who does some useful things, but does a lot of other things that are more obviously crap and annoying. And as a result, every fan, every fan base just hates him. Yeah, he seems like, and you know, there is a potential, I'm not guaranteeing it, but there is a potential that he's going to end up on... Um, like on the first line at the left wing spot. Can you imagine the first the first shift we see where, you know, that line has it in the zone and Matthews and Marner are doing their doing their shit and then Richie Cross checks someone in the face in the offensive zone to take a yeah. penalty. And like at some point that's gonna happen probably. Yeah. Um yeah, his penalty differential is terrible. Now to some extent, we tend to assume these things balance out at the team level. Like the instinctive behavior of NHL referees is I gave them a penalty. I better give the other team a penalty. And so maybe Nick Ritchie taking penalties doesn't hurt you quite as much as it seems like because you make some of it back on makeup calls just through the balancing effect. But that said, the Bruins finished 28th last year in net penalty differential. And also the Leafs got to get their power put together for that to even work, even if it does happen. Yes. So, um, that said, at two years at $2.5 million, I think he's certainly capable of delivering on that. And while I know I'm going to get mad at him when he takes a dumb penalty in my heart, I like this signing. We're at, we're at the rationalization phase. Well, and the thing is, <laughs> the, look, look, we don't have, the Leafs don't have the options to get good players because good players sign for money. We don't have money. Yes, and this is what happens. And so you make bets like this, like Kasha, who is coming off a whack of injuries, or Richie, who is good but flawed. You don't get sure things yeah. at this price. Or Michael Bunting, who Un- came in real hot for 20 games. Yeah, even the closest thing you get to a sure thing is someone like Jason Spezza, and even then it's like, okay, well, this guy is, you know, old in hockey terms, so who knows if he's still any good. Yeah. There's there's no free lunch when you're paying 900k, you know, 1 million, 2 million to these mm-hmm. guys. Uh, notable departures. Zach Hyman is obviously the hugest one. Unrestricted free agent to Edmonton, seven years at 5.5. You can think that that deal is going to age badly, but it's unquestionably a loss now. It just, it hurts. Yep. Um, the rest of them don't hurt nearly as much. Nick Foligno to Boston, two years at 3.8. Have fun with that, guys. Would not envy that deal. Uh, Frederick Anderson, uh, two years at 4.5. He, he said quite, you know, he's finally said outright he was playing through injury last season a lot because the Leafs didn't have a choice with Jack Campbell mm-hmm. hurt. Um, so I expect him to probably look a little better in Carolina. But 
it, it was pretty clearly done here. David Riddich, UFA to Nashville, won at 1.25. And Zach Bogosian, we've mentioned, on a cheapy deal to the Bolts. We'll miss him a little bit, but I think it's time to give Dermot and Sandine some run. So Yeah, reported he didn't want to stay in Canada yeah, either. And you know what? Godspeed. You did your job. Have fun in Florida. Um, hmm. I think, for the most part, the Leafs made sensible choices, if you accept the premise that it made sense to run it back with the same core. Because once they did that, they were locked into, we're going to make cheap upgrades, we're going to try to replace Zach Hyman on a budget, with sort of a committee of options, and then you're going to get guys like Kasha, Richie, and Bunting, and you can easily make the case that each of those guys is a decent bet. You know, if we have three guys who have a 30% chance of delivering value on these cheapy deals, we pick the winner and then we, we come out okay. But it doesn't change the overall complexion of the team that much. And so whatever was wrong with this team before is probably still wrong with it, except a little worse because none of these guys is likely to be as good as Zach Hyman. Pretty much, yeah. Like, it's, uh, you know, we've been kind of blasé about the Leafs offseason, but the reality is once you commit to we are not trading a star player, and really what that boils down to is once you commit to we are not trading Mitch Marner, um, this is not many other options. Yeah. The other thing I guess we could mention, um, Morgan Riley. So Morgan Riley is in the last year of his contract. Very good player at particular things very bad at others a very Jekyll and Hyde player in that sense very pronounced strengths very pronounced weaknesses the strengths overpower the weaknesses generally um, but in a summer where we saw really extreme contracts being handed out to defensemen I think it's understandably made Leafs fans a bit nervous about what we would have to pay to keep Morgan Riley we've said this many times on the show and it's been borne out by this offseason it's been borne out by Rasmus Ristolainen's career two things get defensemen paid points and time on ice Riley has both. Yep. And the perception of the Leafs, you know, we've seen these through these those Craig Custance athletic articles where they get random people involved in hockey to talk about different teams. The perception of the Leafs is still, this is a really defensively weak team. Riley has to do everything back there. There's a decent chance, you could argue Riley's the third best Leafs defender. Yeah. Defensively, I wouldn't even question that. And so it's... No, defensively, he might be... He, defensively, I, God, I hope he's our sixth best defender. <laughs> Can you imagine if we have th- two guys who are worse than him on defense? That's awful. That's terrifying. And so, yeah, so his offensive gifts, which are considerable, but, yeah, this yes, all adds up. We, we can't understate yeah. that. He, he, is, he is not Tyson Berry as well. He is not a cannibalizer. Mm-hmm. He, his offensive gifts are that he genuinely provides, you know, increased shots, increased chances, increased goals for his team. When he's yeah, and I do believe he is genuinely a good power play defenseman. And you say, hey, what happened last year? And the answer is... I think uh, the moon moved too close to the earth or there was some sort of gravitational warping because it was insane for that team to be that bad. But I like Riley has established he can be part of very good power play units and probably contributes to yeah. them, even if he doesn't have a cannon slap shot. So all those things have value. But then the, the Leafs are confronted with this tough decision of, do you want his next contract? My answer is no. If you don't want his next contract, do you trade him? But I don't think they're going to trade him. They're going to say, look, we are going no. for it, and that's understandable, and we're not going to replace him for $5 million, and that's also true. And then, so, that sets you up to have another player walk at the end of next season, which is going to be painful if it ends like the last few have. 
Um, it's not a fun choice. There's not a lot of great answers here. And I, I think a lot of people are gung-ho to trade him. I'm like, I don't like the idea of this team getting worse at this point. I really don't, because that's what happens. So, Right, and well, at this point also, like the... I, I, I mentioned this last year, and I'm, I'm just going to bring it up again, because uh, I'm nothing if not consistent. The, the, the three-way deal with Riley, Matthias Ekholm, and some other team. It's it's not in it's not intrinsically stupid. <laughs> it's kind of beautiful if you think about it. That would be very yeah. fun. Also, if it happens, yeah. we get to do a whole podcast where you just say I was right over and over and over again for like ten minutes. So, yeah, I mean, it's not it's no. not happening. <laughs> but yeah, I I think the idea has to be if you trade Riley, yeah, you you have to spend that those assets in relatively quick succession to make your team better now. It's probably a little bit of a hard sell to the team saying, hey, you know, Morgan Riley, our, our, a guy wearing an A, part of the leadership core, the guy who's been here since the Carlisle days, he's gone now. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're, we're replacing him with 16, 17-year-old kids who are not on the team yet. Because the realistic thing, if, you, if you're if you trading for Riley, you're getting picks back, mm-hmm. really. It's not, it, like, I don't think you do... Hockey deals are not that common with expiring contracts. Yeah, so if you get the picks back, okay, and you say, I can immediately try and parlay those into another Re-route trade... Them, yeah. Do you get a third line center? Do you get another guy who is presumably better than Morgan Riley to play left defense? So yeah, essentially like the the the, the circuitous. Yeah, and, and then that that you you just think Riley's overvalued and someone else. Yeah, and then that's just beat the market. So you know maybe, but that's tough to do. I yeah, at that point you're banking on just miss you're banking on your evaluation of players being different than someone else's and your yours being correct. Mm. Which is, I mean, you have to do yeah. that. Like, at some point, you do have to beat the market. Otherwise, you have a league average. Right. And so that's just the question of it. But I think the reality is Cal Dubas likes the core that he's built. He's decided to give them one last try. And I think he views Riley as part of that core. So, yeah, I I think we're my honest assessment is I think they signed him to an extension that I'm not going to like. But failing that, he walks. Um, Anyway, like, this is still a good team. They should be a playoff team in the Atlantic, which is... I think at this point the toughest division in the NHL. Um, it, it's not going to be easy. Uh, well, we might, the division might be losing Yasperi Kotkaniemi, so I think that makes it a lot weaker. Yeah, but it's going to be a dogfight. Uh, I really think yes. so. Tampa Bay is still probably the best team. Boston has question marks, but has been excellent too long to be denied. And Florida had a strong off season, so I think you add that all together, and there are there's absolutely a possibility that the Leafs finish fourth in that division which means they also have to beat teams from the Metro just to make the playoffs. And I'm discounting Montreal, which I'm okay doing, but, you know, (laughs) they did just make the finals. So, yeah, there's a world where Montreal succeeds in the Yeah, absolutely. You know, like... Anyway, to to top this rosy discussion mm -hmm. off, some of the Leafs' better players, Tavares, Brody, Mm -hmm. Muzzin, are at the age where we can expect some decline. Yeah, and so... This is sort of a last dance thing, and whatever was wrong before is going to have to be fixed internally. And some of the things that were definitely good are, are fading a little bit. Like, this is a tough time. To put some optimism in the discussion, because that sounded funereal, they still have several really, really good young players. And that's a great basis. You're not yep. you're not doomed to anything this season, by any means, and you're not doomed... As long as, you know, you have Matthews and Nylander 
to build around. And Mitch Marner, you know, overpaid though he is, is a really good player. And there are worse fates in the world than having overpaid a really good player, as painful as that is. So there are, are still things to, to hope for, but I, I can't blame any Leafs fan who doesn't have a ton of hope, and it's going to be a tough road. So Yep. And on that cheery note, let's move on to the Vancouver Oh, Bucks. boy. Uh, this will be a consolation. Don't let your GM manage yeah. for his job, especially if he's Jim Benning. Um, yeah, anyway, just don't do oh, that. Yeah. Oh, geez, they, they did a lot of shit. Oh, they my did. God. This, this is going to be a, <laughs> a long one. I know we're deep, but we're going to friggin' finish this. Okay, so we already talked about the OEL trade in Go the previous it. segment, but just to recap. Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, a combined 12 million, all with one year left, plus the ninth overall pick, um, a second next year, and a seventh. Traded for Oliver Ekman Larson, uh, who has six years at 8.25 with 12% retained, and Connor Garland, who they extended. Oh boy, deep breathing. Okay. The substance of this deal is they got a good forward in Connor Garland, which is good. And they got OEL, who has really struggled to live up to his name value for several years now. This deal is premised on OEL finding himself again as the number one defenseman or top pair defenseman with Quinn Hughes uh, in Vancouver. And I don't know if they should count on that. Yes, it's... it's. Um, I, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. Players can improve with change of sceneries or get better results mm-hmm. at least. And... Maybe that happens with OEL, but given the history of the Canucks, it seems just more likely that they're misevaluating yeah. a player. Probably again. they're just wrong. Yeah, we talked about this with Carolina. Like, we try to find reasons why maybe it's not silly. With Vancouver, it's like, boy, maybe they are just not very good at this. <laughs> and and so, you know, I don't, like, OEL at this point, that contract is a bit dicey at the best of times. But mm-hmm. I would understand this move better for a team in a different position. But right, like, trading the ninth overall pick for Connor Garland even when you're a team that's not that great is is kind of a painful decision for the Canucks to make. Putting aside the OEL thing, which uh, clears some pain this season to set up a lot of pain down the line for contracts if he doesn't deliver. And again, you know, it's six years left. There will be years if he's playing badly where that's excruciating. So look out. Um, they signed Yarrow Halak two years at 1.5. The best 1B goalie in hockey he was for a long time. Yeah. Halak's had an odd career. It's weird. He, like, he he seemed always like the guy who most ought to be a starter, but wasn't. And mm. just that kept happening. But he's 36 now, and he wasn't that great last year. And he's going from Boston, who are very good, to Vancouver, who had maybe the worst defense I've ever seen last season. So that could get hard. I hope Thatcher Demko's yeah. eating his Wheaties. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, well, and also Halak's had injury mm-hmm. problems. And uh, if you believe that injury problems could be tied to like overuse or, or increased workloads to some extent, well, he's going to be facing an increased workload, I think. Yeah. In terms of like when he's on the ice. Also, like it's worth noting, they gave Braden Holpe too much money to do this last year, and everyone was like, gee, he's not that good anymore. And it didn't work, and then they bought him out. And it's like, <laughs> so they're... This this at least is, is low yeah. end, right? So like there there this is fine. There's very little downside risk here. Yeah, like it's it's fine. It just the the downside risk is uh, our goaltending is bad, or like we don't get yes. good backup goaltending. So lack is too old now. Um, they signed Tucker Pullman, four years at two point five million. When you want to improve your defense, get guys from the Winnipeg Jets. That's a great plan. 
um, mm. a team that has had atrocious defense. Good luck with that. They extended Travis Hamonic two years at three, which, like, he wasn't good. Well, to use the same joke, when I want to improve <laughs> my defense, I sign the guys who were previously here. <laughs> yeah, and then they, they traded the third to Dallas for the RFA rights to Jason Dickinson and then signed him for three years at $2.65 million. Like, I just, I don't know why that's that much for Dickinson. Like, he seems fine, but it's like, that's more money. I, 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 I must confess, two hours, 23 minutes into this podcast, I do not have a deep trove of Jason Dickinson. You know me. what? And I respect that. So <laughs> let's move on to Nate Schmidt to Winnipeg for a third. You know, he had a tough year, but... I, well, I think that's a fine trade, actually, but it's also like an indictment of like, <laughs> you just acquired the guy. Yeah, like, he, he had a rough year, but it's also like... I don't trust anyone on this Vancouver defense, really. Except no. Quinn Hughes, who is offense-focused in the extreme. So Yes. And they extended some other guys. Brandon Sutter, Luke Shen. They signed Nick Patan. Um, I hope to call Nick Patan can get some time on this yeah. team. It should be easier than getting time in Toronto. Yeah, he, he deserves it. Uh, so, um, the yes. departures are... It's, it's worth noting, they didn't lose anyone they're at all going to miss, except Nate Schmidt. Erickson, Roussel, Beagle, yeah. not good. Braden Holtby, goodbye. Nice man. Um, they still haven't extended Pedersen or Hughes. Yeah, so they have $10 million in cap space and those two guys to yeah. sign. So bridge deals are necessary. Potentially, like, short bridge deals, too. Like, that's yes. not enough. Like, Pedersen on a three-year should has at least a strong argument. I should make what Matt Barzal makes, which is $7 million. And then yes. Quinn Hughes is like, you're going to pay me three? Like, fuck off. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that they have a bit more wiggle room than yeah. that because they're, they're going to... Their roster is bloated right now. They Like, on cap friendly reports, they're having, they're having 14 forwards, 8 defensemen, 2 goalies. So they, they drop a defenseman. That gives them, like, another, you know, 900k to work with. So you give that to Hughes, basically. Yeah. Um, you can, you can you know, dump, I don't know, someone on your team. Dump, Brand, dump Tyler Mott if you really want yeah, to. Yeah, but, like... And maybe, you know, Hughes can't get an offer sheet. He's not eligible for one. Yes. And I... So, so maybe they just yeah, squeeze it. and maybe they're just, that's what they're counting on, I think, at this point. But it looks to me like they've set themselves up to sign very short deals for these players that I think they might regret. Um, well, and as we mentioned, you sign bridge deals when you don't have the cap hit for, for long-term deals and when you really want to capitalize on, um, you know, a few years where these guys are going to be cheap and where they're providing way more value uh, than what you are paying them for. So you really want to be at the end of the win curve where you are a contender. That's when bridge deals mm-hmm. help they help you navigate these these tough cap situations, so you have to do it regardless in Vancouver's case. But you ideally are in a tough cap position because you have a lot of really good players on your roster, and you're trying really hard to fit them all in, and you you squeeze these young guys on these bridge deals to have a really good team for a couple of years, and then maybe you have to fall back because you eventually have to pay these guys more to make it up for them, on the, make it up to them on the back end. Vancouver's not good. Yeah. They're not it, good. Why are they? they they're, the fact that they're in a position where they have to sign bridge deals instead of going long is a massive, 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 massive indictment of their organizational uh, process. Yeah, Uh, you know, I think this is a glaringly clear case of Jim Benning is managing on the premise that he has to make the playoffs to stay employed. It's probably true. And they've set themselves up for this, ownership has, by continuing to leave him in the job because he has this team that is not good, acting like a contender, making short-term decisions that... You know, maybe in the short term, in the Pacific, that's enough to get you into the playoffs. But they've risked a lot long term, a lot of pain. And 
they're already squeezing themselves. Like, Pedersen is already making noises like, I would like to play for a team that wins, you know? And you're going short with him. You're underpaying him. You're setting up this team to, you know, what? Get stomped by Vegas in the first round? Um, again, we've hammered over and over again. The Pacific Division sucks. But look at it. Okay, Vegas should win that division. Are the Canucks better than Edmonton and Calgary? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think they're better. Calgary than Calgary is arguable, but if the, if Calgary, if Markstrom yeah. learns to goaltend again, then I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm not sure they're better than Seattle either. Um, Vancouver has better forwards, but I would trust Seattle's defense way more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this was the worst team in the NHL defensively last season, and they looked like it. I don't think that was unearned. So, I you know, someone in the Pacific is going to be left looking kind of embarrassed by missing the playoffs. And I can easily see it being Vancouver. They're going to need a lot out of their forwards. That's it. They're paying Ty Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson a combined 13 million. Mm -hmm. The Leafs top three defensemen fit in that. And I think all of them are better. Yeah. Like this is just, it's not good. And like, they have to be right about the OEL bet. And again, Let's let's be generous and assume that he'll look better getting to Vancouver. But it's like you're asking him to do more than he was doing poorly in Arizona. And again, right, uh, we met, we mentioned this when we talked about the the Coyotes. OEL wasn't actually used as their top defenseman. No. And so you put all this together and you're thinking he is being imported to do more work on again the worst defensive team in the NHL last season. This team, like, they were a turnstile in terms of protecting the slot. And if he doesn't have a resurgence, they could be doing that again. And then, yeah, they're going to miss the playoffs unless Thatcher Demko goes god mode. He Like, he had to do it last season just to get them, like, even close for a while. So, yeah. I Honestly, I think Vancouver, at the best case scenario, you say, okay, they've made decisions that did improve them for this season. I don't even think that's a given, and I think that it was really stupid for them to orient themselves that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Vegas? Yep, Vegas. Uh, they're very good. Clock is ticking. Signed Laurent Brossois, competent backup, two years, 2.35. Matthias Yanmark, 1.1 by 2 million. Uh, they extended Alec Martinez, three times 5.25. I'm not sure that's a great idea, but mm-hmm. uh, they did that trade where they... Traded Goldie Glass to Nashville for Nolan Patrick, who's still an unsigned RFA. Patrick has had a rough go. A lot of concussions, migraine issues. At this point, you know, you don't know if there's anything there, but he could use a fresh start. Marc-Andre Fleury to Chicago for an AHLer named Mikhail Hakkarainen. He, pure yeah, just a pure, and you know what? Like, Fleury was good last season, and I it, it sucks to not get anything for him. Um, but you know, they have Robin Lehner and they're committed to him. So it makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, they traded Nick Holden and a third to Ottawa for Evgeny Dodonov two years at 5 million. That was kind of weird. Um, well, I think it might be try- them trying to maybe belatedly realizing I was going to talk about this as it related to them making a big move to get Petrangelo last year, uh, where this is already an elite play driving team and their failures in the playoffs have been driven by their inability to actually convert and maybe getting a few more high-end converters helps. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, in that sense, getting someone like uh, Petrangelo last year, it, it's like doubling down on what you're already good at. 
And, I mean, it, it worked. Petrangelo was very, very good. He had a great mm-hmm. year. Um, but, you know, you can think maybe they maybe would have made more sense to allocate similar resources and similar um, expense to a guy who can help you convert a bit better and make good on your territorial dominance. Yeah, and so hopefully you do that uh, if Dodonov can... And that's what I think Dodonov... Yeah, that's what the idea behind getting Dodonov is. I think. Yeah, I do, I do think, you know... He had his best years playing with Alexander Barkov, and he probably is not going to play with a center of that caliber in Vegas. No, but he might play with a winger of that caliber. Yeah, and, you know, if Vegas wins the cup, and I by no means think that they can't, but they will be like the weakest team at center that I've ever seen be a championship team. Yeah, um, and their, their, their wingers and D are ridiculous. Their centers, I guess, is Chandra Stevenson still their number one center? Uh, or Number one slash number two. I, like, probably he's not as good as William Carlson, but sometimes Stevenson <laughs> seems to be played on the de facto top line. So it sort of varies. Yeah. Um, departures, Flurry, Holden, Glass, Reeves mentioned above. Yeah, sorry. They traded Ryan Reeves to New York for a third. LOL. Good yeah. deal. <laughs> Thomas Nozick signs in Boston. I don't think they miss him. Look, I, again, so... We talked about how the Pacific sucks. It has one really good team in it. It's Vegas. As long as Laner remembers how to goaltend, this team has no excuse for not winning the division. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been really aggressive, really win now, not a lot coming. Um, you know, lots of bulky contracts, but they're they're trying to win. They're trying to contend. This is an all-in team. It, it would bother me a little bit that they... Didn't look that good against Montreal. I, th- you know, I think the really impressive series that Montreal had was against Vegas. Like, like For sure. Toronto is cursed and was missing John Tavares. Winnipeg is actually bad and was missing Shifley for a lot of it because he decided to be an idiot. The Vegas upset was legit. And then they ran into Tampa Bay and got annihilated. So, yeah, uh, that might worry them a little bit. And again, the center thing. But yeah, they're very good. So they're all in. Um, ready to go to Washington? Yep. That sums it up pretty well. Yeah. Ready to go. Um, the Washington Capitals are now just an institution to get Ovechkin the goals record as far as I'm concerned, and I think that's fine. <laughs> they extended him five years at 9.5 million. You know? Is is he worth that now? Le- no. Who cares? Not even close. Legacy yeah. deal. Who cares? Yeah. When you get the greatest goal scorer of all time, give him a legacy deal until he's 40. Who cares? Um, and like, the thing is, they won yeah. the cup. They won the cup. They haven't done shit since then. I don't think their fans no. care. You know, like, it's it's all champagne on the rocks. And so, I actually do think that it's a serious priority for them to try and get Ovechkin close to the goals record. Like, I, I think that that factors in here. He would have to average 33 goals a year for the life of this contract to do it. I doubt it. But hey, he could give it a run. Um, they extended Ilya Samsonov one year at $2 million. Um, they traded a second round pick to Seattle for Vitek Vantacek, who had been claimed from them by Seattle the previous week. So they, they mm-hmm. paid a second to basically just have their goaltenders be the same. Yes. Um, which is fine. They traded Brennan Dillon to Winnipeg for two seconds. He's a strong defensive defender, but Washington can spare him. And then, yeah, they lost Dillon, Michael Raffle, who cares, and Craig Anderson, who is still playing remarkably in Buffalo. Um, very quiet. Yes, yeah. They didn't no. do much, and they're they're not that good anymore. So I think, yeah, I, I think it's just, they're just keeping on, keeping on until Ovechkin retires and Backstrom, you know, hangs Yeah, up. and and I think that that's, that's pretty much fine. At some point, they are going to reorient to the future. 
worth noting, they haven't traded for another team's first in 10 years, so far as I know, um, except for trade downs in the same round. Uh, and the last one was in 2011. So when they trade somebody and get a first back, that'll probably be a sign that they're saying, okay, let's look to the future. That's a canary. Exactly. So keep an eye out for that. But they're going to keep trying for a while yet. And finally, the Winnipeg Jets. I think we've made a lot of fun of the Jets on this podcast for being very bad defensively. And they might have... They've, they've taken some measures to try and address that. So they traded a third to Vancouver for Nate Schmidt. Yeah. Um, four years at 5.95. He did, you know, he's offensive leaning, but he did play tough minutes for Vegas and was successful. Um, Vancouver, everyone looked awful. So they apparently talked him into waiving his no trade, which he was reluctant to do. So, you know, that's a nice sign for Winnipeg that they can do that. And as just mentioned, they traded two seconds to Washington for Brendan Dillon, who's a good defensive yep. guy. So that that'll help, I think. Um, they extended anthropomorphized cartoon impact noise, Neil Pionk, uh, four years <laughs> at 5.875. Um, Pionk, whose name is very fun to say, was actually like way better than you maybe think, than mm. I thought. He, he was like garbage in, for the Rangers for a while, and then he was randomly decent. Yeah, he came, he came back in the Jacob Truba trade. Um, and now, it, you know, like he... Played better than Jacob Trouba last year, so who knows? Uh, yeah, he, he played tough minutes, and he and Derek Forbort, who was departing, uh, were actually successful in some pretty tough minutes, whereas most of Winnipeg was underwater in shots and chances. So, Yeah. Uh, extended Andrew Kopp a year at 3.64. He was considered like a solid, gritty third-line defensive type, and then he broke out last season and scored at a 58-point pace. Um. If he delivers anything like that again, this AAV is just lovely. Are you a little worried if you're Winnipeg that it's yet another one-year deal that walks a guy to UFA? Maybe. Yeah, I I, I feel like this is essentially a prove-it yeah. deal. But like, if he proves it, he probably ends up end up on another team afterwards. Yeah, and, and so that's that's a bit awkward. They extended Logan Stanley. He's very big. They extended Paul Stastny a year at three point seven five. He's thirty five, but he's still good. Good playmaking center. And they can use him. They seem to like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they extended Eric Comrie a year at 750K, who's going to be the backup after Brisson leaves. Um, so they lost Mason Appleton, expansion to Seattle, Matthew Perot to Montreal, Derek Forbort. Appleton was good, Appleton, by the way. Appleton, yes. Good, he had, we probably should have mentioned him in the Seattle section, but yeah, he had a, he had a good year last year. And he, he's another one of those examples of Seattle's just not going to have bad Yeah, players. like Seattle should be winning its bottom six minutes. Or at least outperforming other teams' bottom sixes. So keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Forbort to Boston, three years at three million. Uh, Tucker Pullman left, not a big loss to Vancouver, as mentioned. Nate, uh, Trevor Lewis to Calgary, and Nate Thompson. I think they're better on net, probably. Um, because they've added two guys who can help stabilize the defense. Um, and they've lost one defenseman who looked okay, and Appleton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this team is still it has to be better than its stats look because its stats are bad let's you know yeah. to be generous they probably are somewhat but I don't think that they're good not very good anyway maybe like just average but yeah their forwards are, are good but they're now like defensively frail effectively mm-hmm. 
and yeah, what, what's 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 changing for them, right? You know, Wheeler is aging, Shifley is, is aging. Those guys aren't getting much better, if any. You, you still have uh, Eaters, who is phenomenal and their best player overall. But yeah, what's what's actually going to happen? Yeah, like you look at this team and say, okay, hey, maybe we'll make the two three bracket in the central. And maybe, because we have Connor Hellebuck, who's an amazing goalie, we go on a goalie run. Is that it? If that's all it's going to be, is that satisfying? Like That's like a pretty long shot chance at ever doing anything. And then you say, if that's not it, what's going to change? Like, how is this going to get better? Um, <laughs> they do have some prospects coming, so maybe that's the answer. And yeah. ha- as people pointed out, you know, they struggle in unrestricted free agency because they're not considered a marquee destination. That may have its consolation in that it saves them from some bad deals at times. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. So, you know, keep an eye on Cole Perfetti. Is this especially well thought of? See if he makes the team. Um, maybe Ville Hinola, who I know is, I've heard of as a, a decent prospect. But, like, I think this is a team that's still struggling to get out of the middle. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, they do have good things to bank on, which is great shooters, great goaltender. It, it, it can work. It can work. But, you know, long term, I'm not that excited about this team. And we, we mentioned Dubois briefly. Right? Yeah, we but... did. It didn't really work. Um, also, their playoff that... performance, just to be mm-hmm. clear here, was really unimpressive. And it, it maybe doesn't look that way because they swept Edmonton. But that was a goalie show. Mm-hmm. It ended and then Montreal annihilated them. That, you know, I, I think that this is like a bad or slightly below average team that maybe has a more plausible way of beating its expectations, but that still only gets you to just okay. So yeah, and the Josh Morrissey deal looks really really bad now. He's, he's struggled. yeah, he struggled, and they're they're committed to him for years and years to come at six point two five. So they'd better hope that he recaptures his form or looks better with Nate Schmidt or something. But Okay. All right. I think that that just about does it. So two hours, 41 minutes this time. Um, Maybe not quite long enough for the extended cut of Return of the King, but... (laughs) But pretty close. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So thank you if you've you've lasted this long. We appreciate it. We'll go back to more regular times uh, starting soon. And, you know, soon with training camp coming up, we'll go back to our weekly schedule at some point. Probably not next week, but uh, in the near future. So... You can catch all of mine and Fuleman's stuff at pensionfanpuppets.com. You can also catch us on Twitter at RVNHFuleman. Thank you for listening.